because then after I realized after I came up with like all of that I realized that it was not Raymond Clark it was Pete oh come on (laughs) and let me tell you why (laughs) good theory it really might be passing why are you crying because I love Pete so much I almost lost consciousness keep going Okay, so here are just some factors why I think that it was him. <laughs> Turtleneck. Welcome to this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. This is our deep dive into True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 2, Night Country Part 2. Please note this episode may contain spoilers of Seasons 1 through 3 of True Detective in episodes one through two of season four. It may also contain speculation of season four, including coverage of any trailers or articles that have been released related to the show as of air date. Please note this episode may contain mature content, including cursing and inappropriate, albeit not funny jokes. I'll be your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode will be Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show at Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore Ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. Now, without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome to the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. I am Craig Lake. I guess I will be hosting this episode, and I am with Jessica Z. Jessica, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. I heard you have some big theories in store for us for this episode. You're going to blow the lid off the whole show. I do, but let's not forget to mention that Issa Lopez liked my tweet. What was your tweet about? Can you tell us more about it? I just said that we had finished a recording session about on our instant reactions, that we're loving the season and we're loving her. Dan, flattery will get you everywhere. Dan McNair, how are you today? I am shitbullrific. It's Woo! your shitbull. Has, has anyone... It's uh, our shitbull. Has anybody liked your tweets besides me? <laughs> <laughs> no, every once in a while I might get a shout out from MC Lars on Facebook, but that's okay. about all I got going. What about Dude, MC so- Chris? Does MC Chris know MC Lars? Or the- They've toured together. They've been on each other's stuff. I thought they were like a thing. Of my eight followers, two of them are my brother. And, and two of them are never- on this podcast. And he's, yeah, and he's never liked any of my tweets. Have you tweeted about chips lately? Maybe you need to start, you know, honing in your content to get those likes. Oh, you're right. I really should have. I should have made this X account when we did season two. So I could have made some chips references and really gotten his attention. Yeah, you need to bring back the chip stuff. So let's start here. Second watch. Does anybody have their revisions to their scores? I scored the first episode an eight. I'm going to stay with an eight. How about you, Dan? I moved mine up to a 7.5. 
Okay. And you're, you were kind of interrupted on HBO or logging into max. Um, so it wasn't a very good first watch. Yeah. So uh, having the time to really pour through it and definitely the old references really moved the needle for me. I'm I, in the back of my mind, I've got this only six episodes. So you got to wow me a lot with every time you're taking up the screen and we know how I am you know, with moving the plot along, which they did in this episode, but we got a long way to go and two less episodes than normal. I'm trying to keep all that in context. Jessica, how do you rate it after your second watch? I think you were an 8.5 your first watch. Yeah, and I'd actually like to bump both of your scores up to an 8.5 as well. What about yours there? Are you leaving it at an 8.5? Yeah. Okay. So I we've got- like it, I, I've got to give it room because I know it's going to get better. I still think that part of your scoring system is the weirdest part of your scoring system. but And I think um, we also say that early on in every season, too. But I think... Um, it was I true think in season one. It peaked eight, episode four. Eight as a running average is pretty good. And I think last week's I did see like the IMDB score move down to... It was below eight later in the week. Mm-hmm. A little interesting. Then but started voting. Were you... What were, what what was your what was your first episode score, Dan? Your revised score? It was an eight point two. Okay, yeah, we ended up at eight eight and eight point two. I think, right? Yeah. Is that where we landed? Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Wait, I liked the first episode, episode more. Yeah, you ended up at eight episode. on your first watch. You didn't really revise because you weren't on the second episode. I didn't need to watch it a second time. I paid attention. I saw everything. So this is going to be our deep dive. Definitely going to be a longer form conversation. As usual, we're going to kind of go through some things linearly, but I will hone in on some different things. I did want to mention that, did you guys see the picture of the call you pillock that I sent you? I was trying to figure out what could possibly be the folklore behind that drawing of Darwin. Oh, I was wondering what that picture was i thought they were like ice harpies or something yeah so i looked up it's q a l u p i l u k there's some various descriptions they say they jump out of water and grab children without warning sometimes however you can hear them knocking under the ice some elders have said that if the ocean begins to become wavy in an area or steam begins to rise from the ocean a qual might be hiding underneath the water. That was the closest I could find oh, no. a picture of compared to that drawing. The scientists okay, were trafficking creepy. kids. That's why someone put them in the ice because they're like, if you're going to act like a, a quadrupillic or whatever, yep, if you're going to act like that, you can live like that. And then they put them in the ice. Oh no, the children. I just thought it was re- like we obviously know that the actual indigenous people believe in folklore. They're going to talk about the folk- folklore. There has to be some folklore tied to that drawing and possibly to the lady that we see with the dead eyes or the frozen eyes. That's the closest I could find to it. So make of that what you will. Night Country Part Two, directed and written by Isa Lopez again. Let's just kind of start to go through it linearly and we can figure out some of the things you guys do want to talk about. First scene, they're taking the pictures of the dead bodies. This is the first official time we see more of the corpsicle. 
They did title it a corpsicle in the script. There were two articles I read. One was a GQ article and one was an IndieWire article. Few notable points on it. One of the inspirations was how rats, sometimes they get all their tails tangled together and then they like claw each other to death. So allegedly that was one of the inspirations for the corpsicle. The actors actually had to pose like in Speedos semi-nude is they posed them the way they wanted and then took the pictures for the 3D imaging of the official corpsicle. And it was actually Guillermo del Toro who helped her find the studio to do the corpsicle, which was Igor Studios, which is a UK studio. Did you have any other notes on that on your end, Dan? No, no. What did you guys think of the corpsicle overall? I mean, is it creepy, impressive? Could you care less? What's your corpsicle take, Dan? It it seemed high quality with everything else this season. There's a lot of detail that they put into it. As it did start to thaw, there were a lot of shrinkage jokes that I might have been inclined to make. But just, I also like that this episode picked up right where the last one left off. Sometimes with the true detective break from one episode to another, it takes a while to get back to the cliffhanger. And that didn't happen this time, which I appreciate. Jessica, did you have any comments on the corpsicle or this opening scene? I think the guy's alive. Yeah, so we'll get to that. So some of the things we did see, they talked about a burnt cornea. They weren't sure if it was ice burns. Pete asked, why are they naked? They talk about it not making any sense. We get blood from the eardrums. I mean, Pete specifically mentions it later. I think Danvers postulates it here. Pete was saying how he thought maybe it was the pressure that caused the blood from the eardrums. We do see the spiral on at least one of the foreheads. I don't know if it was on multiple or all, but definitely on at least one of them. Pete thinks that they scratched their own eyes out, one of them. Danvers says, you think. This is where we hear it's going to be a shit bowl. They do not have a forensic technician. They talk about sending this thing back to Anchorage. But Danvers says, fuck Anchorage. This is where the guy with chainsaw came in. They're taking some pictures of the bodies. Dan, go ahead. One interesting thing on Danvers, and I don't know what your guys read on it, was she seems to be going along with sending it to Anchorage initially. And then she like stops on a dime and says, wait, no, fuck Anchorage. We're keeping it here. And I didn't see anything to like really trigger that change in her thinking or like what caused the sudden, and maybe I just have the wrong read on it, that she seemed to be, yeah, we're going to send it to Anchorage. And then she like stops everything like, no, fuck Anchorage. Yeah. So I don't think we got an exact thing, but a few things that I will say is there's got to be some redeeming qualities about this character, right? And so in the first episode, we see she already sends the tongue to Anchorage. Mm -hmm. This probably is one of the few things she's good at, which is detecting. And so um, I also the the first thing she does say on the scene is we don't even have a forensics team. So maybe she was looking at the limited resources, just kind of assuming like this needs to go somewhere where they've got the tools and materials to get it done. One of the things that I did see that was kind of weird, and I guess it's kind of morbid what it does remind me of, but them taking pictures of the scene did remind me of the Kobe situation a little bit where you saw 
those cops took pictures at the scene and they were caught showing them to people, which is pretty fucked up. But I think it just shows that even in the most fucked up situations like this, you know, I don't know if they're necessarily as happy when they're taking pictures, but it is something that does happen, unfortunately, which is pretty shitty. So her quote at the scene is everyone stop fucking around, pretend like you know what you're doing. Uh, Jessica had mentioned she's got an issue with the way that she talks. It doesn't spot seem to me like she's almost got chaw in her mouth or something. So I did notice that. It, I didn't notice it if Jessica hadn't mentioned it. But because of that, I did notice it. Did you want to say how much you hate it on the air or no? <laughs> I said it sounded like she's got cotton balls in her mouth. Did you have an ad to that, Dan? Or to well, something else? Maybe it's over method acting and overthinking. But if you're out in these temperatures... Like you freeze up if you're not moving around and normal muscle activity can get cold and slow. If you've ever been out in some of those really cold temperatures, even talking does happen different. That's why they're filming not in Alaska because they didn't want to film where it's so cold. I think it even was cold there. I mean, they did talk about how cold the temperatures were. So I think it was slightly better, but I don't, I think it was still cold, but I think he's talking about acting like it's cold regardless. Yeah. That might be something she's trying to do, but I don't know that she doesn't do it indoors too, but, but yeah. Just, oh regardless. my God. She just sounds like the meanest coach ever. I think it's the hand that breaks off that triggers the groaning, right? We think that the hand that was broken off is the live body. It yeah. was in fact a live body. Dan, I'm going to let you react first because you're notoriously famous for hating stuff like this and true detective. How did you feel about the fact that we got a live body? Actually, that's, the crux of the whole case to me when I went back and watched it and really got the opportunity to listen to the phone call that happens afterwards, that this person's in a medically induced coma, like he can tell us everything. Like we can search around forever, but our answers all lie with medical coma dude. So this this is a positive for you. Yeah. Like I know that he's just not going to wake up in episode three. It's probably going to be prolonged and, and way out there. It wasn't my first impression. I still don't understand how somebody can live through this. But the fact that we've got a survivor is, you know, there's a lot of potential. Jessica, we do have a live body. How do you feel about it? I didn't realize that it was CGI. I did watch it again. And that's it, Night of the Living Dead-ish. I don't know if it matters. Like, I kind of call it all the same thing, but I guess it was, in fact, green screened over. But, I mean, I still didn't think it looked great, but that was the effect they used was a green screen. Yeah, I guess um, I don't know what, like, a frozen person coming to life would look like. Yeah. Better than Connolly. And to Dan's credit... Go ahead, Dan. I was just curious, which of the scientists is he? Do we so, know? I'm thinking it's Lund... And we can cover that at, at the end. They go through the scientists. Yeah, they name them off. But but I think I, it's I think it's Lund, unless I don't know what Lund's first name is. But when I was listening to it, he was the only last name I didn't hear. And they only gave one name for each scientist. So unless I'm missing one half of his name. But I think it was Lund. So I was going to ask you guys that, which he's the founder. To me, he's the most relevant besides Raymond Clark that we have, you know, yeah. he would be the one closest to the money. And if there is something nefarious on the Salal site, which we know they're funded by Tuttle, I would think the founder might be the least likely to talk. 
you know we we don't know well, what he went through yeah he's also without an arm and a leg so this has yeah. cost him a lot <laughs> so the after that we do get i think the entry scene on on the menu credits or whatever we're calling it the opening credits did you see anything different dan i feel like i did see the clothesline yeah i saw the same protest signs you saw the first episode I actually could not see the names on the first episode when I was pausing on my iPad, but I did. I must have had a higher resolution feed on the second one because I did see you could see some of the names and you could see the dates. Yeah, but you couldn't see the names well. But I did see twenty three, like you had mentioned, on some of the dates and stuff like that, which makes me wonder if we're gonna have a fallout or maybe that's. It looked like too many crosses to be the people that died from the science center right there's got to be another mass death you would think yeah and they were more indigenous names the the names i picked up so i'm wondering if it's something maybe like from the mind that's going to come to pass still did you notice anything that jumped out to you in the opening credits either week jessica we never had that conversation with you you weren't sure if that face under the ice was like in the water was there the first time but it yeah, and I didn't really look. even see anything that relevant with it anyway, other than just normal stuff. We come back and Danvers is talking to the nurse. She talks about having to amputate at least one leg. She talks about the induced coma. Danvers just wants to know when we can talk to him and they're starting surgery. This is happening as Pete's calling about the removal of the corpsicle and handling that. Any comments on that past what we already covered, Dan, or did we hit it all? No, I just think at first watch, I, I was convinced the guy was dead. But going back on second watch, I completely amend that theory. And you want to see how serious this coma situation is. Yeah. And to be fair to you and us, I think we both caught it. You were having feed issues. And so I think if we all had a clean feed, we probably would have got it on first pass. But there was a little bit of doubt and it was pretty crazy. I mean, I had trouble believing it. I'm okay with it, but I mean, I think it, you'd have a hard time. We're assuming that corpse has potentially survived. I mean, I don't know if it amends the timeline of how long they've been out there from the 17th, but I mean, we're three days in at this point, at least from the 17th. Yeah. So kind oh, of. If it works for Austin Powers. Yeah. What's the story about the, what's the story about the drunk guy? Oh, yeah. His, like, dad found him, like, 12 hours later because he had passed out in the snow because he was, like, drinking with his friends and on his way home. And he passed out in the snow, and he was dead when they found him, but then they, like, thought him out at the hospital and brought him back to life. Did you guys see the report today? I guess there were three Kansas City fans that died and froze in someone's backyard. I mean, I think they were watching in Kansas City in a backyard, and they froze and died, I think oh, is gee. the story. I know so that after the Kansas City home game, there were a bunch of hospitalizations, but I didn't see that report. Yeah, so I think they're suspecting, they're wondering if that's the only thing there is to the story, because it's pretty fresh. But is there a anyway. Salal station in Kansas City? Yeah, were they like below ground when they were found, or were they... Were there any frequency devices nearby? Kansas City's not that far from... Louisiana. Imagine being the wife. Imagine being the wife who's. I'm trying to put the kids to bed. You guys can watch outside, and then you like. Oh, I'm sorry, your husband died at my house. <laughs> what about the I'm minerals? Not... 
How, what's the mineral I, situation in Kansas City? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you guys say that, but there's minerals mentioned in the opening song. From Billie Eilish? I'm not anti-mineral, to be clear, but I am higher on frequency than I am mineral. Liz dismisses the cast, the class. We meet Bryce. I did think it was interesting that she he says he told her to stay away. And she says, I'm not here for that. But I think that shows another, you know, bad side of Danvers, I guess, that she's like harassing this guy at work previously, maybe. Is that the inference you take from that, Dan? No, I took it that she would show up at the school for hookups, appropriate stuff. Yeah. Anybody want to comment on just like the decorations of the classroom or what we see there? I didn't get into the board. Do you want to talk to us about it? I think you might even send us a screenshot, which I still didn't understand. Go ahead. Yeah, two things. The first is there's the hanging flags of all the nations, which was also in the Salal station or a very similar type thing. But I was, it took me two watches to figure out what he was teaching them. And he asks the girl, what is this? And she says, the heart. Did you guys figure out what he was teaching them? I didn't. Was it magma? It was um, geology and that crude drawing on the chalkboard was actually like the different layers to the core of the earth. And I thought like at at a tiny school in Alaska, like this is actually some pretty detailed geological teaching that they're getting. My kids here in California aren't getting that kind of geological teaching. And, you know, we've got earthquakes popping off left and right. So I thought it was impressive that the school had that kind of curriculum, even though the kids seemed about as interested as you could expect. Yeah, I thought that's what they were teaching, but I didn't understand why, like, it was a trapezoid or whatever it was, a rectangle. Yeah, I, think or a ro- just... I think it was a rhombus, technically. Go ahead. But yeah, the, the drawing was terrible, which made it hard to figure out what he was talking about. But he kind of labels the different layers. And then there's like a weird animated tooth in the corner that somebody just drew a little you know squiggle that i don't think had really anything to do with anything but um was that was that thing with the date on it what you sent from one of the boards or no yeah as as danvers and bryce are having a conversation i was zoning in on just some of the flyers and things hanging in in the classroom and the first thing you see is actually outside the classroom, there's a horror festival that's happening okay. that there's a flyer for. And then there's a protest. So there's a flyer for the protests, but it says like it's happening on one particular day, like the third, but it says Wednesday, Friday, which just doesn't make any sense unless the days overlap in Alaska for some weird reason. And I thought it was just like an AI generated background thing maybe a little bit sloppy because there is some other weird background decoration that doesn't check out to my caliber later in the episode yeah so i was gonna say since you mentioned that before i knew there was other potential ai stuff in the episode when you sent that flyer i thought it looked kind of wonky like an ai image and i kind of definitely think it probably is there were discussions with Issa Lopez on Twitter of the metal 
poster that you're talking yeah. about, which was in yeah. the was in Chuck's apartment. It seems like they can. It seems like they confirm that Issa Lopez claims there were like long discussions in the writers' room about how some kid would have just sold them that. But I don't know if they're trying to excuse it because this definitely seems like another AI poster here. Did you notice any of this stuff, Jessica? Or do you want to comment on any of the AI posters or horror posters or magma, the Earth's <laughs> core? I didn't think it was too relevant other than maybe one of those obscure bands will be tied into Hank. Jesus. Oh. <laughs> I will say, I, you know, I could see the core tying into something. You know, Jessica, I know you have some volcano and earthquake Dude, I know, theories. I know what what annie found out and why p killed her it's not because he loves the town it's because of what the town's doing and she found out that in the mine they discovered an ancient civilization they've been digging up the bodies and eating them where did this come from (laughs) i was okay so i was wrong about the lyrics it was actually like there was the minerals mentioned in what is it magpie by the unthanks which played in a scene let me tell you see episode one where where are the magpie we covered when danvers arrives at the salal facility to investigate the disappearance of the researchers and then it plays again during the end credits of the episode so it plays twice and it mentions minerals but the main song mentions cannibalism so it's to be that because that's also a theme and like the other wintry shit that's been referenced that's what it is that's why they won't tell us what they're mining because it's freaking people yeah (laughs) you did mention something in there that i think is most relevant which is cannibalism the magpie song it mentions seven for secret never to be told the song that we get at the end of this episode is Florence and the Machine again, which, God bless it, I'm not a fan, but it's Seven Devils. So we do have several Seven references already. I don't know if it's reference to the Seven show and it's just like an Easter egg that way or if that Seven's going to bear fruit, but we do have several Seven references so How far. How many scientists were dead in the ice? I think six and one's missing. I think there were eight scientists. Yeah. One's in the hospital. Lund is the seventh. Clark is the eighth. The or seven host- scientists in the ice. Frozen at one point in ice is true. So seven is seven might be something. Dan, fire away here. I know we're not quite at the Rose scene in her house. I saw a tweet. Yep. You might have seen it too. I was hoping to get your deep dive on the music that she was playing because I couldn't pick it up. I couldn't pull I couldn't pull her music anyway. It, it wasn't in my list of the music that I did pull. Apparently and it was a playing? seven reference or two okay. in the music she was playing. I saw a tweet on it, but I couldn't pull what the music was or anything else. So that's probably the other one there. Yeah. I can so, give you the background on the song that Navarro was listening to. At Roses or somewhere else? Or are you talking about Spice Girls? Yeah. <laughs> Let's get to that when we get there. The only other notable thing I think here to me was that he had no clue. Bryce had no clue they were dead. And he does say, talk to Lund and the rest of them. So we do get Lund being brought up again, which I think is relevant. Go ahead. I actually hope we see more of Bryce because he seemed pretty credible 
on just the geology element. And he seemed to have a pretty good insight into what they were doing at Salal. You That's know, for a good reference. Yeah. You and, yeah. So you, hopefully you he and, can add more. You and Danvers Dan both want to see more of Bryce. Whoa. If we saw Bryce at one end of a bar and Danvers at another end, we would go to Bryce. No, I'm going to Danvers. I've yeah, had a crush on Jodie Foster easy. since The Accused. I don't care how she's know that she's easy. By God, all kinds of revelations here. So we hear Navarro asks Rose, do you see him often? Rose says, and we're talking about Travis now, death didn't change him. Fucker only comes when he wants something. Navarro says, did he say goodbye? And Rose says, before he went to the ice, yes. We found out Travis had leukemia. He brought her croissants fucking croissants what's your guys opinion on croissants why was that offensive or wild or what was the reaction there any of you guys have a clue i just think it was a little bougie for travis and that would make sense for both of them she said he had he had made them himself we ate them we sang a little we fucked a little he didn't say much i think the most interesting part about this besides the fact that travis is travis cole which is russ cole's dad But when he died in the ice, that's how Navarro found him. And that's how she met Rose. So that's the connection we get between these two characters. I think we're still going to see Navarro and someone in ice or being in ice. But I mean, we obviously get a lot of imagery in the trailers and the credits of someone in ice. So I didn't know if any of that was a reference to her finding him in the ice. Any thoughts on this scene, Dan? What do you think Rose did before she kind of got to this retirement stage? I mean, she would seem like a midwifey type of person to me, or what do you have her as? I was looking at some of the books on our shelf. Oh, okay. We've got like a university chemistry book. Okay. We've got journalism. So I think she was some sort of a college teacher or something like that. Just the vibe of the different collection. It seemed almost like a professor's office that she was kind of living in with her records and antlers and extensive bookcase and things like that. Yeah, maybe like an anthropology or something like that. I mean, she seems educated. I'm just trying to think of what would give her the knowledge of like people and their beliefs and things like that. She's very mystical too. So I do think you were right, Jessica, when she starts asking Rose about seeing the dead. When did that start? I guess it did start with Travis, but she says, I know people that are born with it. And in Ennis, this happens all the time. That also did make me think a little bit of Rust, not specifically him seeing dead people, but we know he kind of saw and tasted and had these other senses. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Do you think Rust avoided open casket funerals and stuff? I don't know. He would, it would taste, was it ash? I think is what he thought that the the direct quote from Rose. She said, I think the world is getting old and Ennis is the fabric of all things coming apart at the seams. So I do think that's, if I were to take big concepts from this scene, you know, I would take how they met Travis Cole and some of the stuff on seeing the dead. And then this specifically here, this concept of Ennis being this dark place where fabric comes apart at the seams. Dan. And she's kind of almost talking about it. Like the world is old and this is the end of the world. Yes. By comparison, I think it's like right after this, we get more of the conversation 
between Clyde and Danvers, where he's talking about them sequencing DNA and looking for origin of life type stuff that could be a fountain of youth. Or they're eating that fountain, they're drinking from it. When you say end of the world, I took it more as the end, like they're at the top, like at, at an end of the earth. But are you saying you took it more as like the linear end of the earth? She's talking about the world being very old. Yeah. And almost like coming undone. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They, no, that's an interesting concept. Yeah. There's a little bit of a comparison there. Don't know what it means, but I'm just marking it for my own. I think another important concept here, she says, the thing about the dead, some of them come and visit because they miss you. Some of them need to tell you something you need to hear. And some of them want you to take it with him. You need to know the difference. I think this is going to be something that revisits itself with Navarro specifically. Like I have a hard time believing we get that quote without that, that coming to bear some fruit later. Did you have any other thoughts on the scene with Rose and Navarro, Jessica? I also think that we will revisit it with Navarro. And I think she will realize that the girl who was dying in the army at war, she loves her and she wants her to move on and be okay. Like They were lovers. They were lovers. So we're back with the geologist. He kind of mentions they were madmen, reclusive. No one comes in. No one comes out. I think he mentions that other stations like this kind of rotate people, but this wasn't one that did that. They spent decades trying to synchronize DNA extinct microorganisms that could have stopped cellular decay. I did think it was a funny Danvers quote, try it in English, nerd. And <laughs> he said, if you want it in English, you should have fucked the English teacher. She says, not my type, neither are you. Desperate times. He mentioned some of the other things that it could cure cancer, it could cure autoimmune disease. So once again, if we're looking for motive, the value of whatever they have here is more valuable than anything else we're talking about. The minerals, the mines, the, you know, anything else we could possibly think of. This is the most valuable thing that could create the most motive for anyone involved. Finding um, a civilization. Than even that, probably. This Wait, is the there's... ability to cure diseases and regenerate yourself and Live be for... an which, which the town DNA. is tapped into, and they're not willing to give it up. They'll kill so for the, it. The natives, you're saying it's the natives. No, I'm saying it's freaking Pete. It's the whites. Jesus. The whites <laughs> wearing the black turtlenecks. Why do you think? Like why room. do you think? Why do you think the miners aren't worried about? That. Why do you think the miners aren't worried about their families getting sick from the pollution? And I say that I truly believe, and this comes from the bottom of my heart, that your best theory in events so far is that Pete in the turtleneck. The cannibal who but, killed the scientist. No, Pete in the turtleneck uh, potentially makes him bad and evil. I do think he looks suspicious in that turtleneck, and that I am giving you credit for. I did also think it was funny is that Liz was like, what's taking so long? And he said, it's not making hot dogs, Liz. They mentioned <laughs> ice coring for that type. I, I did think it was also an interesting quote. He says, for that type of organism, it's difficult. Drills break. The permafrost is too hard. And it would damage the chromosomes on removal. So he does not think this would work regardless. He thinks it was like a fruitless effort. He's so I think that's relevant. Any close out on your boy that you want to see more of, Dan? 
he almost knows too much for a high school geology teacher, but this marked a point for me where I felt episode one was very mystic and supernatural, and you've got all these weird, unexplained stories in the night. Episode two for me seemed very scientific, very detailed, very processed, ask the questions, find the science, things like that. So I noticed like just a neat total opposite in storytelling and we're getting it from different angles here. So I just kind of wanted to appreciate that. Yeah. And I do think ultimately what we're going to get this season is a supernatural slant that can very much be interpreted in the real world. So I think we're going to get a dual finish. That's my prediction. Me, Connolly and Danvers hope for a dual finish as well. So Back to Navarro and Rose, they're talking about her sister. Jules is seeing the dead mother. This is where we hear Rose say, don't confuse the spirit world with mental health issues. She does say she sounds to me like she needs treatment. They bring up the lighthouse. To me, what were all the other places? Was it like Sisters of Light and House of Light? I feel like that lighthouse sounds like a lot of the Tuttle organizations that in schools that we heard of before she says that she doesn't want to talk about it she went to a place in nevada they medicated the shit out of her she fucking hated it any thoughts on the sister here jessica i think she has some underlying mental illness i wanted to ask you how you feel when people in the national context mispronounce nevada i didn't even notice it he says says it the wrong nevada nevada Yeah, I don't think we really care unless it's someone pretending to be a local. If you see a local politician running and they say Nevada, (laughs) you got a problem. Or if you've got who who mispronounced Nevada, if you've got like a coach that says it wrong. But if you're not from here, I don't. I personally don't give a. Well, I think if you're like a national radio broadcaster or something like that, like you should know how to pronounce all fifty states the way that they're intended. Yeah. What about Illinois? I I get kind of itchy about that. I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. How, how are you not supposed to pronounce it, Illinois? Exactly. Yeah. How else would people say but it? Illinois, Illinois is fine, though, right? Yeah, that's the correct way. What about the state of Missouri? I think they take it pretty serious over there if you say it wrong. Pretty sure it's Missouri and not Missouri over there. To be clear. any context clues to where in Nevada old jewels would have been put away. Could you picture that? Did you think about that season? I would have said it had been north of Nevada. I mean, north of Vegas. So I don't know anywhere between Indian Springs and Reno would be my guess. All right. So let's get into the spiral. (laughs) Give me your review of her drawing. Did she not draw a vagina or like a rhombus at best? That was not a fucking spiral. It was not a completed spiral. Dan, review Rose's spiral. I think if your materials are stick and snow, I'm not looking for the roof of the Sistine Chapel. We're just trying to convey it. We don't need to break it down. Wait, it's a deep dive. She's (laughs) not peeing it in the snow. If, If her pee drawing was that bad, even then, a spiral is pretty easy to pee, I would think. I'll report back. Maybe she should have, but those old arthritic wrists... I, I replied that. 
I was like, it was fine for an old arthritic woman. And I think that oh. you're just hard on women, Craig. And then my so. husband's car was like, I can't show you this while you're driving. And then it just didn't send it. You know what? She wasn't drawing a spiral. I just figured it out. She was drawing a shit bowl. She was drawing it a was map. a better shit bowl or vagina. She was drawing was a, a head, trying to tell her that we've been eating the bodies. So, how do I support Danvers and hate women at the same time? I didn't say you hate them. I said you were hard on them. I hope so. I've seen that before years ago. Did any of you guys care that she kept calling her Missy? It didn't bother me, but it was so frequent that there's got to be more there. It was just interesting. She did use it a lot. So she says it's old Missy, older than Ennis, older than Ice, probably. That to me seemed interesting with when we know we've got core stuff and they're trying to drill stuff that's like below the core. I just found it interesting. Did you guys have any thoughts on the spiral since you've been wanting to get here? Could it be Old Testament? I don't know cannibalism good god almighty or it's they really were trafficking the freaking kids whatever that drawing was oh darn caribou or turning the trafficking kids through the mine (laughs) they're trafficking kids through the mine to eat them no the kids are doing the mining their own fountain of youth like in the early 1900s or the kids are playing mine minor miners did you think of that angle This is all an ad for Minecraft because it's fallen off. Um, Connolly is in the office asking questions. Some Connolly quotes, what a fucking mess. I'm moving it out to Anchorage. You don't need to do a thing. So I do think this is maybe a pattern of behavior with him kind of taking things off Danvers's plate. I know Jessica was excited to see the debut of Daddy Connolly as he was advertised in the previous episode. We do her say, no, you're not taking the case from me. You don't want the case. I know you. What's that thing you say? Shit bowl. She did say, I think she said, it's my shit bowl. He said, you don't have any resources. You don't have a forensic department. And we're paraphrasing. I'm not covering every line for the record. You sent me to NS. You appointed me to NS. You gave me this office in this lovely ex-dental building, which I did think that was a good call out. Any take on this scene, Jessica? No. Dan? So I've been wanting to see Connolly. This is our first shot at him. And so far, he's exactly what I expected. Hank is quick to kick his ass by getting a jab in at Danvers. And then Danvers just outmaneuvers him with the manual that Connolly seems to not even know the rules of frozen bodies and how to care for them. Yeah, we did see his very white ass dreams come true. It was, I think, the Alaska Crime Detection Laboratory Manual, Section 9, Chapter 4, which says we've got to thaw the bodies at 38 degrees for 48 hours. I did think it was funny how she was addressing him very professionally. She's the manual that you gave me, Captain, Sir, some of that stuff. (laughs) A little over the top, though. So we close with, where are you going to even put them, Chief Danvers? So we end up at the hockey rink. Leah plays hockey, as Jessica foretold. I did think it was, like, sad, cute, as she says, did you see me play? You know, obviously she's not there to watch her play. I did think it was interesting. She apparently was just playing, but there was a Christmas tree in the middle of the ice. 
you know, I also think it's funny. Dan asked for trees and he's getting the trees. I'm got um, trees coming out of my ass right now. Do we think her girlfriend was a figure skater? Is that what we assume her she was going to be doing? Very cutting edge vibes. Not like SpongeBob princess. vibes. What did you think of your first real delve into Kate McKittrick, Dan? I was hoping she'd be hotter, but she didn't really seem the evil force that I that maybe she'd been led up to be, but who knows? Again, Hank kissing ass, but she didn't seem 100% evil. She just seemed like a basic hockey mom that her kids did not really look like. If did, I you call, put that did you call her Karen, a Karen, Jessica, or how did you describe it last episode? I don't know that I did. She just looked like oh. a normal lady. I was going to say, like, maybe Karen Tuttle would be a good uh, description oh, wow. for her. But I know that she's so rich because she's running the child trafficking eating Mines. operation. The cannibalism so operation. She owns Minecraft. Wait, does she own the mine? She does own the mine. Yeah. And no. the ice rink. Yeah. Yeah. She, like, has Wait, the so most money in town, allegedly. Town? I mean, allegedly, she has the ice rink in the mine. Go ahead, Dan. She's got a lot of influence, yes. Because the mine pays and, and we, for the school. We do think she's divorced at this point, is I think what I picked up. Yeah, because Navarro Denver says before or after the divorce. So we know she's divorced. If Pete is bad, if Pete yeah. is bad... If Pete is bad, he's yeah. banging McKittrick. That's yeah, my actually call. you called that. I don't I think, do think I don't know that he is. I am just I don't saying, know if it's banging, but I think that he works for her. There's always well, the price. She says, Hi Henry, how's Pete? I need to get that son of yours to do some private hockey lessons for my boys. And then she talks about him like needing money and there's good money in it. I'm not saying it's happening. I'm just saying in a world where Pete's turtleneck incriminates him. That would be my call there. Dan, go ahead. Okay. On a Giga Chad scale, unlike Kate McKittrick, do her two sons look? I mean, it's a two out of 10 compared to Giga Chad. No. <laughs> yeah, I just think they look like sons. I didn't really pick them as looking so. Oh my gosh. One is in a different weight class than her as a teenager. And the skin complexion is nowhere close. They, I mean, I would think they, if she would know if they came out of her cooter or not, I mean, she's got to have a clue. I'm not talking about. <laughs> Are we like, talking cooters dude, or casting? Two hots I'm talking casting. I'm talking casting. Here. Two I hots mean, make an ugly. We don't know. We don't but know. She's... We don't know what the husband looks like to, to Bruce really. Bruce Willis, Demi Moore. There's more science there. Do you have any other McKittrick chimes in yet, Dan? I don't know where along the episode is, but I did notice the Blue Crab logo or the Blue King logo on the wall of the skating. So I just wanted to throw... We don't really, other than an interview, see much more Blue King, but it was kind of just snaked away over there. Yeah, that's a good call out for sure. I did also think it was interesting, as I mentioned last episode, that she already knew about the scientists. You know, Bryce didn't know. She knew. I mean, she's more tied in, but that means she's more tied in. I mean, she knew. 
I did think it was interesting too. She said, you wouldn't come to me unless it was really serious. Would you, you know, so show some intuition on her part. We know that she's doing this only because she loves this town. It was Beach Boys, Little St. Nick. So we did get that as they're bringing the corpsicle in. I did think it was funny. Go ahead. I I said point for Craig because. um, I mean, it was mostly, I mean, it should be the Beast Boys. And it said, all it said was Little St. Nick. So. (laughs) And I was going to agree with you. Like, that's kind of hilarious that they're taking this bulldozer full of dead bodies and the Beach Boys are just such a boppy, happy, sunny, you know, good times reference. There was definitely a dichotomy there that I, in my morbid irony, love to see. Yeah, I think it was a fun pick. So she says fucking bitch and like greets Tro- Trooper Navarro on her way out, which I already knows she probably doesn't like Navarro either because of some of the mining and Annie K issues. So... Pete mentions teeth marks that they bit their own hands, possibly. Leah wants to look, potentially. She says, Leah, get out of there. I did think Danvers was very dismissive of Leah, and she's going to Pete's. Jessica had some questions on why, I guess, she would go to Pete's, but we know that Pete used to babysit. I mean, I think that's the connection. Like, obviously, she's going to pick up her daughter. but No, why Leah would go to Pete's, I'm saying, and Kayla's. I think that Kayla and Leah are related, like maybe siblings, maybe cousins, because I was floored. Couldn't believe how Danvers was speaking to Kayla if she's just another woman. You're in someone else's house and you're being that rude and direct to them. That's only her, something a mo- that's only something a mother could do. But we know her um, employee works directly for her. And we know they know each other because Pete certainly babysat their kids. I don't disagree, though, that it's possibly... Okay, so your sister could have gotten together with the babysitter? Pete was the babysitter. You don't think the older sister could have gotten together with the babysitter? Oh, no, I just think they're cousins at best. They're not siblings, is my take. Why why was she being so mean to her? There's obviously a relationship there. I do think that you're, like, a little hard on the Danvers interaction. I think Danvers is just surly and pissy to everyone. And no, I she was, think, like, directly incredibly rude and offensive. Yeah, and I think to you, that scene is very personally offensive in that household. And I just think that's Danvers being Danvers. But we'll get, we can get there and extrapolate more, if you wish. We are identifying bodies. We know Russians wear rings on their right hand. That's how Danvers identifies one. Once again, she's got to know that, which is interesting. But I guess she if you're called her laundry grandma, so that could be. Can Leah's we get grandma. there when we get to the scene? Good God <laughs> Almighty, we're not at that scene. We will get there. You will have <laughs> your day. She's gonna light court. it up. She can't wait to get to <laughs> being offended. So we've got five heads and nine feet so far. So we're gonna end up with six bodies, right, Dan? Yeah, but we're hope we're expecting seven. Seven, I know, but we're gonna end up with six, six. Seven plus the missing one, right? The live one. Because yeah, the live that makes eight. Because the live body's gone. So that would be eight. Clark is gone. You would expect right now we're missing ahead. 14 feet. We're missing ahead in three feet. If Clark is gone, though. I'm Five saying we know feet. we know Clark is gone. We do. Dan and Craig know. They don't know okay. at this point. Okay, but so I'm you're saying, doing the adjusted math. Yeah, I'm saying there's, we know they end up with six head and 12 feet is my thought process. 
is yes. what they do end up with. Yeah. They say, why are we climbing on top of each other? And I think this is the Diatlov Pass direct reference when she says, I hate to break it to you, kid. There's no yetis because that is one of the Diatlov Pass theories. They talk about delirium and voila, corpsicle. So that's Danvers' call. Navarro comes over and says that mind bitch hates you more than she hates me. And that's when she says, I may have dated her husband. And that's when Navarro says before or after the divorce. Navarro says spiral tattoo is on Annie's body. Same case. We can work together. She says, I'm never working with you again. Navarro says, I, you think I want to work with you? And she says, I do actually. No one ex can stand you except for that poor kid. But you'll be breaking his heart real soon. I thought she said, get out of here, Missy, or something. But she said, get out of my scene. Fuck off. But I was like, does everybody call her Missy? But it was <laughs> get out of my scene. Fuck off. And then Pryor opens the phone with the victim's faces. They do this dance about, oh, I don't want to work with you. I don't want to work with you. And it's just going to be wiped away anyway. So I don't know really what we're trying to prove. I did have another out of timeline question. I just wanted to throw because uh, the Beach Boys thing kind of sticks with me. Okay. Would Nick Pizzolatto have included the Beach Boys? Fuck no. Yeah, so Isa Lopez. I like the uncomfortable humor that's below the surface with her. So I just want to acknowledge that. I like the balance that she's finding a lot better than any balance Nick Pizzolatto ever struck. Yeah. Where, where do you fall on this season and just the mood and tone, Jessica, of Issa Lopez versus Nick Pizzolatto. I like personally that she's embracing the supernatural. And the music is just more... Um, it's a dark humor to the specific part of it that I just, I go for that. I like her, I don't, it's almost like I like her style better and everything, but well, I like, like season one better still. So yeah, two episodes okay, in, it's yeah. really hard to compare. But just everything that I'm seeing is fresh, it's fun, it's exciting. And, you know, I hope I'm not getting more excited than I should. Yeah. I'll say something from my point of view. And, like, I forget how much I was let down by the first season as well. But I was. And I was listening to the Watch podcast. And one of those hosts brought up a point that he was very disappointed in season one. And the reason was, is because it teased all this supernatural stuff, but it ended up just being strict boilerplate detective. And he felt that was a little bit of a bait and switch. And because I agree. Supernatural stuff doesn't exist. Yeah, but I think there's a way to walk that line. And I think that's what we're going to get this season, which is you know, something in between. And I guess you can say supernatural stuff doesn't exist, but we really don't know everything that it really exists in our world. Do you generally like most of the songs that are being dropped or what you feel like? I feel like there might be too many, but I like them more than I don't on the song drops. Yeah, and nothing here that I'm getting is in my playlist and there's a lot I'm not familiar with, but there's toe tappers and it seems to move things along quite a bit and, and now to try and bring it back linear wise one thing that i did notice is the hank Connolly, like hank being the kiss ass Connolly asks for a call to be made and hank jumps to make the call whereas yeah. for danvers in the salal station uh, he was dragging his feet and things like that not saying that i'm anti-hank but i think hank knows how to jump when asked 
to look like a good little soldier. And that was kind of my comments on Hank. I think Hank understands more how that system works. And so that's why I think yeah. some of his leadings is not because he's necessarily a bad guy, but he may think he's trying to protect his son by doing what he thinks is right, but it's really hindering to the investigation. Did I did think it was interesting that it was Pete who figured out opening the phone with one of the victim's faces, the guy who took the TikTok video. Any thoughts on that coming to pass? I just thought it was a good Pete move because he runs off in the middle of Danvers talking and she's kind of like, how dare you? And then he comes back with a huge score able to access the phone. So good for Pete. Yeah, I thought that was a good Pete point. Okay, so we end up at Kovic's burger joint. Ryan is there. That's kind of where we see the introduced Jules working. They're going to watch The Bachelor later. So Ryan is there. Ryan never saw Raymond Clark. I did note that Navarro was burning a heater. So we've got no robot dick, but we still got SIGs. Chuck recognized Raymond Clark, but didn't say anything. We get a fight at the bar. Some quotes I pulled from there. Fuck you. You think my kids don't drink the same water. The mining people are poisoning their own kids. Chuck said, we feed your kids. We pay for their school. I thought Chuck also bumped Jules on the way out. Just yeah. noted. Any thoughts on this dog and pony show here? I thought it was a nice little view into Americana of the different temperaments that we don't see with the main characters. This is what the townspeople are feeling. These are some of the, the half-in-the-bag discussions that they're having. And you can really kind of see how unstable the fabric of the town is just with this bar fight popping up over the different powers and like the pawns or the worker bees that are, you know, made to feel they need to protect their interests, you know, across town. Jessica, any thoughts on your first trip to old Kovics? I couldn't. Was that the morning? There's no mornings they, in this show. It's all night. Were they there for breakfast? I'm unsure, but I know Kovic because is they were, like, famous really for clean. pancakes. Yeah, or who knows? Oh, it could be a okay. weekend or who knows? So you thought but the miners is, were too clean. This is before Navarro goes to him later for mm-hmm. pancakes. Correct. But I mean, he mentions, I think in the first episode, maybe that Jules is the only one that doesn't like his, the only girl in town that doesn't like his pancakes. That's where I pulled that from as far as him being famous for his pancakes, aside from him cooking them later. His homebrew. Yes. Which is not present at all. Um, His pancakes cure mental illness and Jules doesn't like them. And that's why she's crazy. (laughs) Probably. That's probably it. I will say, I think what we do get out of this is the, I I think this is building to what's going to be the eventual protest. Kovic mentions it later, but I think this is setting that foundation there. We get the Salal sing-along video of Barry White. Do you know the name of that song? It's I know the lyrics were my first, my last, my everything. Is that the name of the song, Dan? Or what is that? It's not the name of the song. I don't know it off the top of my head, but we get some Barry White. Yeah. The other notable thing here, we got prints on one of the shoes, no matches. Did you guys get a look at that hand? I get it's an image. It could be blown up. To me, that looked like a man's hand. I did not. But we've got it. We've got it. it we've got prints and no matches for it. So that's relevant here. 
Liz, they start talking about the sudden drop in pressure, eardrums, damaged soft tissue. This is where Pete talks about the hypothermia, delirium, irrational behavior. She says, you've been researching. Or what learning. was he wearing? Jessica, you tell me. He was wearing a tight black turtleneck. And so you, your thought is that Gru wore a turtleneck. Who are some of the famous villains who have turtlenecked it? I don't know. I found some ancient tweet. Let me see. I don't. There don't was know. Jack Nicholson and Steve Jobs. <laughs> the guy from The Shining. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, in The Shining. Jack Nicholson. Um, Draco Malfoy. Is that him? Oh yeah, yeah. That's villain. Snape also totally villain. I don't um, know who these people are. That makes for good podcasting. No, I think your call out, I do think the turtleneck did make him look suspicious. I did not, that was not lost on me. I think it's one of your better theories. We talk about self-inflicted wounds. What could make them run outside in the first place? So we get kind of this cat and mouse with her asking what the questions they should be asking. So they're like, what would make them run outside in the first place? He mentions a gas leak. She says that there's no gas there. Start asking questions. I did think it was weird. She said, start asking questions. And then he comes up with this polar bear theory. Go ahead, Dan. So there were two call outs and things that this whole, her deductive reasoning made me think of. And she keeps pressuring him, ask the right questions, right? Ask a different question. Yep. Did it remind anybody of Rust at the end of like episode three, where he's being interrogated by the 2012 detectives and he's like, ask the right fucking questions. Yeah, I did see some of those call outs online. I think that was valid. And I think we've got some other, while we're here, just because we're here, you know, we've got some other rust comparisons. Like we've got potentially young children and both their lives dying. We don't know what's happening with her, but we think we've got potential DUI issues with both of them. Huh? Okay, yeah. And, and I also wonder sometimes how many of the similarities of the like true detective formula are intentful yeah. and how many of them are just purely by, I totally accept 80 at least percent of them are intentional, but I do think that there are some things that are like just happenstance and they still fit into the true detective universe. But did you want your other call out? The other reference was this was kind of like a pop culture full circle for Jodie Foster in Silence of the Lambs, where the Hannibal Lecter character is kind of guiding Starling in her investigation. Now she's the teacher, she's become the master kind of thing. So there was two different roles completely, but from the actress standpoint, I thought it was a neat kind of nod to her coming full circle there. Yeah, and for me, I mean, we know that Issa Lopez was influenced by Sherlock Holmes. And so to me, this is very Sherlock Holmes, Watson-y for sure. Jessica, did you have any thoughts on this back and forth besides the turtleneck? She does not go full circle until she joins Pete and Hank for a meal of human flesh. So he brought up that polar bear idea because it was like fresh in his brain from like when he cut out that polar bear's eye. And because, like, he had already planned to break in to her house and move the polar bear. Or wait, no, he had already done that. 
So he brought up the polar bear again to get it moving in her brain, like bring that back into her so just, mind. Jessica's theory, as you'll hear at the end of the episode, is that Pete planted the polar bear in Danvers's residence. And she is expounding on this theory. I think that the polar bear theory was pretty out there. But we do get a piece of information here that I think is important that the doors don't lock for safety there. So we know the doors don't lock, I think, effectively. And I think this is actually the one where Pete mentions the paradoxical undressing where they're feeling hot and they undress. So either that or Pete held them at gunpoint and told them to take off all their clothes. Who They say, who drew the sign on Lund's forehead? So Lund definitely had it, but we've got at least two Lund references so far and maybe Lund's alive. So I just think that's of note. Um, I think they were naked when they ran out. He forced them to undress in the building. And, and then... carry their clothes folded? Pete no. The he helicopters fold... flight away? No, because he folded up the clothes there based on like that Diot Love pass incident thing. Because I'm telling you, he took bits and pieces from each of those things. So if I can he's narrow... recreating the scene. Yeah. If I can recreating narrow... the scene. If I can narrow down your theories... He's copycatting nerd reference theories to create this thing. It's like a copycat murder, but of nerd culture is what you're positing. Not nerd culture, but yeah, of supernatural possibility. And then uh, you're also yeah. saying this is Pete and not Raymond Clark. Yeah, because I just think. So where is where and why is Raymond Clark? So Pete has him held captive somewhere and he's going to he hasn't i don't know if he hasn't figured he's it out eating yet or him piece by no, piece he, go ahead children but raymond um, clark jerky go ahead no they're not gonna eat him because he needs to use him as his scapegoat okay he's either gonna bring him out when he's in the tunnels he's going to fake a we shootout haven't seen the tunnels jessica he'll, he'll fake tunnel. a shootout with him he probably is in a tunnel and he's gonna fake a shootout with him or something the last episode to be that brave the minerals and the minerals explode and raymond clark is framed okay the minerals so, explode. so they say who drew a sign on len's forehead wrong question when so we think the killer drew the spiral they said what about clothes we've got five pairs of pants three shoes so we've got five heads that we've seen five pairs of pants three shoes nine legs so far nine feet nine feet so we're three shoes are missing so we've got six shoes at least technically why aren't they fully dressed ask again how scared do you have to be to run out in the ice without any shoes why are the kids clothes folded maybe the killer folded them why would he fold them taunting them did he make them fold them pete says it doesn't make any sense and she says it does we're just not asking the right questions i told you this was a shit case so we do get the video now that we thought we were going to get that as predicted by me that the sandwich video, the end of that. So we do see on there, it is the 17th. It says it's 1.29 PM on the video. And that's when the power wakes up, goes out when Clark says she's awake. Dan thoughts, or did you have anything? No, I don't know that I was hoping that through the video, we might learn more. It came soon. Connolly, 
Um, hi But we didn't really see any more with the lights going out. I was hoping that would be like a key thing that they would find. Yeah, I was hoping for more evidence too, but we did at least get confirmation that what we saw is what we saw kind of thing. Like it wasn't a fade to black. That all kind of happened. Yeah. Kovic and his dog, which Jessica said is a husky. Were those all huskies outside or were any of them wolves? Some of them got to be part wolf, part husky. He talks about her picking a fight with the big dogs. He says he has he's a reputable establishment with an FF1 license. This is where he starts to mention that people are starting to complain about the water. There's talks of protesting, once again, setting up what I think we're going to see. Um, he does mention that the water turned black in some homes and that it's the homes closer to the mines because he says too close to the mines. I mean, that's still definitely an issue. This is where he says that Jules doesn't like the Kavik pancakes. That's where we get that reference. And Navarro says, one of these days, those dogs are going to eat you. He says, she thinks she's really tough. Deep down, she's a softy, just needs a little love and affection. Then she's going to melt. And she says, for fuck's sakes, Kavik, cut it out. Any other thoughts on this scene? I know you like the two of them together, Jessica. I do love them together. I really think, okay, so Pete's going to come with his little device or something and make the dogs go crazy. And they attacked Kavik. And because he lives right where the restaurant is, that's that scene we got in the first trailer of Jules covering her ears. Because that's, that's what's happening gonna make the right wolves, next door. To make the wolves eat Kavik or the dogs. Yeah. Dan, I only take this, the, 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 what I get out of this scene, obviously it's an establishing relationship with Navarro and Kavik, but I think it's mainly to set up the protests that we're going to see. Any other thoughts there? I think this dog is going to come in and save him at some point, much like Navarro is. And him describing the dog is actually him describing Navarro in apparel. We're sure there. Agreed there. Dog saving is an interesting thought. We'll see if we get dog saving or dog eating. I'm actually going to blow your guys' mind for the first time. What? Here. What? 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 And maybe throw some theories slightly askew we get the cleaner scene with old lady cleaner she talks about cleaning two shifts a month didn't know annie k she would you know why would annie k be at the station? or no she was saying was annie k ever at the station she said no why would she ever be at the station she's a midwife she asked blair if blair knows anything about that symbol and she hands her the photo like her dickhead ex-boyfriend might know something about it. So that's what you think that is. Because what I saw was Blair said that she didn't know anything about it. And if you rewatch that scene with Blair and you see the look on her face walking out of camera, to me, it's definitely intentional. Blair knows something. So she's either, I took it as she's a potential suspect. It would be very true detective for this barely established person. It's very season two both in it being a girl, a ginger, and whatever. But if you rewatch that scene with Blair walking away... Very season some... two and three. If and you look one. At... Because <laughs> Errol only... You saw him twice. If you look at Blair walking away from that camera, it could be what Dan's saying. I did notice that, yeah. It could be what Dan's saying with the spiral, or she's the murderer. It's one of the two, but she knows more than what's going on here. Go ahead. It's a lot more likely for it to be her douchebag boyfriend. Yeah, yeah I, I I don't think he's the murderer, though. 
and it would be more but obvious. But he is he part of the, the society that's eating the children. Yeah, he could know something. <laughs> I will give you that, Dan. It could just be that she's seen the sign from something to do with her boyfriend. But she knows something. Something's going on with Blair. For it sure. seems like we all picked up something in that exchange. Yeah, and I rewatched the the tail end. Definitely something's going on there. Dead on. No room for air. So when do you blow our minds, Craig? I mean, I mean, <laughs> I, I never I, I I heard 25 minutes of theories before the show started, and I didn't hear Blair's name one fucking time from either of you. So well, because she my, knew it. So eat, eat my ass. <laughs> I'm saying no, but yeah. I mean, she has something to Sorry do. Sorry that a minor moment that's time. inconsequential to the storyline was not in my theory. Truck driver and Pete, they are weirdos, says the truck driver. Other cleaner, quiet boys played video games, were very obsessed with their work. Lund, once again, once screamed at her for moving their notebooks. So we've got how many Lund references this episode? It's Lund heavy. Yeah, very Lund heavy. Old lady, they never spoke to us. Truck driver, Clark was weird. He was talking to himself, staring into nothing. I don't think he was right. Hanging out all natural. He said skinny ass, which I thought was just very random. The other cleaner said Clark was locked in his room a lot, crying. Other men ignored him. It was sad. That I think we could dismiss as like his relationship with Annie Kay. Like that part makes sense. But the truck driver was saying that was more recent behavior from him, which is more weird. Dan, did you have something? Was the truck driver restocking a vending machine at an airport? Is that how you took it? I didn't know where it was. I know he was, I thought he was just doing different vending machines, but we know he's the Funyuns guy. I mean, he's the snacks guy. There, there's, I'm, learning more and more about Ennis as we're seeing more. And there were people with the luggage carts pushing them around from like a baggage collection type place. Okay. Like, How big is this town? I wouldn't expect I, them to have an airport, but it might be like a little municipality kind of deal. Yeah. I will say Ennis kind of plays bigger than you would expect it to. Like yeah. the town is just, it looks more like an air Anchorage or a Fairbanks to me than an Ennis. Could, it could just be like an executive airport of small planes coming in. I mean, it would have the, to be if that's what it is. For the McPatrick, yeah. what are they? McKittrick. Which, which, yeah, which all of, of the McKittrick triplets did it? Triplets um, did it. <laughs> yeah. Do you, guys have a, uh, do you guys have an understanding of where Ennis is? I'm just picturing it in the Arctic Circle so far away from Anchorage and Fairbanks. Yeah, I know like it's on that. by flight. Go ahead. Someone said that if you went to the coordinates that they gave for it, it's like in the water. Yeah, um, I will say that it is the north. It's supposed to be the north side of Alaska there. Um, I picture where I think Nome is. And I don't think of Nome as being very big. But oh, I don't yeah. have a lot of bearing of reference, to be honest. Yeah, so Nome Jewel is... is from Alaska. So Nome is there. They describe it as a quad, uh, a quadrant that's like north. So I think it's somewhere up there, which is pretty far away. But I that mean, was on a description. That was on a description I saw separate from the coordinates that Jessica saw. I will say, for as detailed as the show is, if those coordinates are wrong, we got AI posters. There are a few things <laughs> that are 
a lot of detail was paid to a lot of things, but who knows what wasn't paid, I guess. Did you have anything else on the driver or cleaner testimony, Jessica? I think that the behavior that the delivery driver saw could be just general depression because his girlfriend was murdered. And also the hanging around naked. Perhaps was he European? He is Irish. He's Irish, Uh yeah. Seems like something they would do. So it's not because maybe he was European out in the ice. Maybe he's Euro eating children. (laughs) So I don't think he's eating them. He's harvesting them for the blue crab. Maybe Annie had him get that tattoo and become a part of the society so that he could get inside information that she couldn't as an indigenous woman. Or do you know the number one export of blue crab in Alaska, Dan? It's not crab. Stacy's crotch. It only gives blowjobs. Two things. I think that the Clark crying in his room is definitely that behavior, but I think what the truck driver describes, and he describes it more recent, does seem to be consistent with the weird journal entries and like more of a weird level of behavior that could be going on there. I thought Pete planted that journal. He did it to make guy seem like the driver did mention a Craig call out from the deep dive, which is he did see someone at the station who came across the screen. And then when they asked him about it, he's, no, I didn't see anything. And then he was like, this is Ennis. Yeah, you see some people sometimes. I do think this was maybe quote of the episode. It's a long fucking night. Even the dead get bored. Um, But we do find out here that Clark had a spiral tattoo on his chest. So I think that's, we can read into the nakedness all we want. But I mean, I think the real point was how would he have seen that Clark spiral? And that's how we had to get there. I think we get Navarro calling on the radio for Chuck Mosley info. It was Lee that gave it to her. I just thought that was interesting because we know Cooper was her other connection from the last episode. So it's not the same cop as my only note out of that. But it seems like she's connected to a lot of these other cops as I guess what I would take from that. Spice Girls is on the radio. Jessica, did you want to share anything from that? I mean, not really. I think it's self-explanatory. It's a bop. I was in sixth Um, grade. Never out of style. Always going to be a bop. So she almost gets into a wreck. She's messaging Jules about it. She hits the ice. She finds a necklace. Do we think she knew that this necklace was there? Or is this something that supernaturally ended up there? So she has a flashback as all this driving and calling Jules and things are going on to a pregnant woman wearing the cross. So at first I thought she was pregnant and it's possible she is. I was unsure if she was giving birth or just freaking out because I was wondering if she was giving birth to Jules. But in the corner where that little girl is, she appears to be holding somebody. So maybe she was holding her sister there. It's her and her mom and Jules. And she's protecting Jules while her mom has another freaking freak out. But I guess my question is, you didn't think she was giving birth, Jessica? That's not what people don't Uh, sit up straight to give birth. I, Dan, just so you know, I thought maybe she was giving birth at first, too. And I'm thinking maybe she wasn't. She was just freaking out. But anyway, well, yeah, she, she did seem pregnant to me. Birth, like maybe she... she was, you know, having an unfortunate episode as a pregnant woman. Whatever. Like I tie the necklace to her. Correct. For sure. Um, Definitely. We know that mom has mental issues. For sure. Because in the first episode, Jules says, I'm not anything like mom. And, sure. um, so I thought that this cross was a keepsake 
one of Navarro's links to the mom. And I think she says Jules is only a half sister. I don't know really where that plays into everything, but maybe mom had a handful of different suitors and it was an unfortunate situation. But she it's just kind of flings the cross right out the window. My only thing that I thought was weird, it almost seemed to me like she was surprised that necklace was there. Like it was a weird reach. Like I didn't, th- like I think she was reaching for her phone and that ended up with the necklace there. So it looked like a weird find to me. And I could be reading that wrong. It may need a third watch for that. And then, yeah, if it was so important, she just hucked it out the window. But to me, I'm like, has she hucked this out the window before? Is she seeing things? What's going on here? I'm not saying it is that. I'm just saying I had some questions that came up about it for me. I was wondering how you read it. Jessica, did you have any thoughts on the necklace or that flashback scene? I think that's a cool idea that maybe I just thought that she reached for it, knowing it was there, thinking that. I think it surprised her. Because why would you throw it out the window then, too? It's a pretty weird. I thought she reached for it, but then instead of bringing her comfort, it brought her discomfort. So she chucked it. It's that's a read. Like, why am I even holding on to this? Yeah, I need a third watch for it. But just, I think there's some question of what that scene meant. I think we've all got questions about it, which I think is what it's meant to do. Now we're getting to the big scene, Dan, that you've been waiting for. Chuck's apartment. We've got AI, heavy metal posters on the wall. She says, don't make me arrest you for stiffing the bill at Kovic. We find out he brought his cousin's trailer. Jessica, what kind of trailer was it? A golden eagle. From the 90s, he paid 10K in cash. I'm starting to wonder if he just gets ripped off a lot in general. Because I think there was something else he got ripped off for. Um, He's got that scientist money. What else are you going to buy up in Alaska? Okay, wait. Other than Oreos. So he bought... Divided by 600. So that's only... He only paid 16 and two-thirds spiral tattoos for a trailer oh yeah that's what i was gonna say he's paid 600 for a spiral tattoo 10 grand for a trailer he's just throwing money around Um, people are robbing him they saw him coming from a mile this was seven years ago cousin's dead of bone cancer now she needs a description of the trailer and cousin's name she does say why didn't you tell me when i asked and she said because i don't like he said because i don't like you ma'am She said, nah, it's because you didn't like Annie. You're okay with what happened to her. Dan, thoughts on this scene and thoughts on the AI posters? Things in the background always jump out at me and it looked like it was supposed to be a Metallica poster just to establish Chuck. I guess we've learned that it's just an AI poster and there's nothing more to be pulled from it. It did seem to take on maybe a little bit of a social media life of its own. I saw one of my favorite comedians, Jermaine Clement, say, I can't wait for metal to be on tour this summer. And uh, he's in a bunch of stuff I love. So that kind of cracked me up. But when she says you're okay with what happened to Annie, Chuck's face to me kind of looked to the side. I'm not okay with what happened, but I don't know. That's just my read on that scene. Yeah. I like, that's an interesting read. It gives me a reason to go back. I really didn't, you know, stare into chuck longingly enough so i'll I'll need to take another pass at that jessica did you have anything any opinions on the scene with chuck he just looks like he doesn't work in a mine like his he just always so clean i would like to see i I do want to see what happens when social media gets a hold of the other ai signs and i'm wondering if they're quickly (laughs) changing the rest of the ai signs from the rest of the season (laughs) 
Because I just, after seeing what was in that classroom, I cannot buy that these were as intentional as they're laid out in Issa Lopez's tweet. Oh, it's very explain- suspect to me. We go back to Hank. He's got Johnny Cash. I think the song is I Love You, Love I Love You, Love You, I think is the song, unless I transcribe that wrong. He's messaging his mail order bride. She needs money for her mom. She does ask him to send more pics of you. And I did think it was funny. He's sending a pic of him and Pete when Pete was younger. And so I think he, you know, was trying to send pictures of him when he was younger. And that's how he realizes that the box is gone is when he's looking for pictures of him there. Dan, defend your boy, Hank. Tell us about why he's such a great guy. He's catfishing her. Reverse catfishing. When the catfish bites its own tail. That's how I, I read that. I hate what see what happens when she asks for dick pics from him where he goes <laughs> to get those pictures. <laughs> Jessica, any thoughts on old Hank? My mom keeps saying how she, he's being scammed, but I'm with Dan. I still think she's going to come. hi Dan, have you revised your thoughts on Hank at all? Or Jessica, have you revised any thoughts on Hank? I still think he's just like a weird loser guy who maybe like is careless or just like uninterested in parts of the job as opposed to getting in the way of things just to intentionally to stop things from being solved. Dan, do you have any revised feelings on Hank this episode? Do you you want to take this time to backpedal slightly? There's no backpedal, actually. I think they're going to make him look as bad as possible to make him look good. Um, Have we addressed the smack in the face yet? That comes shortly thereafter? We're not quite there. So we get Pete talking to Liz about the spiral on the chest. I do think this is interesting, too. We get a question from Pete, like, why were the other guys putting up with him? We also get the, I think it was, they said that they talked to his mom in Ireland and she hadn't talked to him in 10 years. Is that what you heard, Dan? Yeah, I heard that too. So he was like, they said something about him being dead to her. Yes. Yeah. So that was interesting. And then we start talking about the Salal bills. There was the shell company, NC Global Strategies, which was Tuttle United. They were into everything, glass, tech, video games, cruise lines. I'm assuming a lot of this is to move children. Cruise lines. And <laughs> well, wave ships. Video well, games. The video games is a little, but I'm talking about like you're exporting materials in containers. So you've got glass, even if it is video games, like you're Slave moving things ships. in containers. Um, there's got to be a reason. I don't think it's all just he's involved in that many things for fun. I get he's rich too. I mean, could be a red herring i do think this is very relevant too though because as he tells her that she says it's really not helpful so i do think that part of it's gotta be like i would normally think that this is a throwaway reference to tuttle but specifically because she says it's not helpful that kind of makes me think it's going to end up being a little bit more relevant we do get p asking what did navarro do to you she said you're worried you're gonna fuck up too watch the corpsicle This is where she goes to pick Leah up. I do think this was interesting because I wasn't sure what was true or not with her. She said she was going to pick Leah up and then go back to work. But she does pick Leah up and starts messing with the tree a little bit. So maybe she wasn't going to go back to work. But then she does still kind of end up working. So I wasn't sure how to read that. Dan, 
before we get to the Jessica of it, what were your thoughts, I guess, of this interaction with Pete and then ultimately her going over to pick up Kayla at Pete's house while she makes Pete work? Made me like Pete more, I will say. I think in the instant reaction, I kind of thought Danvers was being kind of hokey and bouncing around. You know, the total stuff is all great. Nice to see that years after season one ended that Tuttle's still going strong and have their hands in a lot of different pies. But yeah, that was pretty much all I've got. Jessica, she gets to Kayla's house. I do think in a world where Jodie Foster is a likable human being, they have to have yeah. some things that were likable. Go ahead, Dan. In a world. Yeah. I think I like told her, you her body looked good. But I like when she's talking to Darwin, it did seem like she was friendly to Darwin. And I'm guessing maybe she sees a little bit of Holden in Darwin. But I think Legos. Yeah. Is that you making a house for the fish? I thought that was one of her better interactions, you know, like offense free interactions. So I'm just throwing out there that she seems to be a good detective. She seems to be okay in children. And okay, unlike so most when of the she people. Finds, when she finds the children that they're eating later on, she'll probably be nice to them as well. Correct. Comforting. With Legos with them. I do yeah. think that Kayla is a little young and immature and bitchy. It's her house. You know, Don't mistreat her. But she starts out with like, you taking my man again tonight. Like She didn't get him to leave work earlier. Sometimes I would understand, but when you've got eight, potentially eight scientists murdered in an ice corpse on the ice rink of your local town. I happen to think all bets are off work-wise if you're in charge of the murder investigation. I do think, because I said that like Pete desires to be taken more seriously as a cop. And I think that's with his wife too, because she treats it like it's any old nine to five. And he's trying to show her, no, I'm a serious cop who's going to solve major crimes yeah and that that's kind of my only point with it i just and i get that happens with younger couples but it just seems like she's a little immature about the nature of what his job is but also it's possible he's leaving sometimes to bang mckittrick dan go ahead i wanted to ask jessica how old do you think darwin is oh i have no clue i had him at 18 months episode one i'm gonna revise to two years old episode two he seemed a little yeah, I more he was like four. coherent yeah i don't think he's that old like the art skills were what really in the first episode kind of threw us because he looked small enough to fit under a desk and be comfortable but yeah. with art skills of a kindergartner he his sounds he was making like he was asking him stuff and he's like yeah. he wasn't really forming words but the, he looks like he has the you art can, of a four or five kids can say words before they can draw unless they have like special needs you can't even give a kid a crayon until they're like i can't even give my kids crayons yet or they'll just freaking eat them Let's go back to talking about how racist Danvers is. She does say to Kayla, I'm doing you a big favor. Pretty soon you're going to get sick of having a husband around. Kayla says, thanks, but you can save your favors for your family. She's in the kitchen with grandma. Leah has markings on her face. I did think that grandma was very welcoming to Liz, which makes it a little sad. She says, oh, hi, Liz. She wanted to see how cocky need... God, I, I can't pronounce it. It's, but. Uh, One more time, Craig. It's like 
Kaki Need, A-K-I-N-I-D, I think, would look on her face. It's just marker. She says, wash it off. I can pronounce this. She starts talking in Inupiaq. You don't get a doodle on my kid's face. This is where Kayla says she's 17 and she wants to understand her heritage. And I just thought it was funny that the grandma kept speaking in Inupiaq as all this is going on. I did think that was kind of funny. She says, what, so she can be a night nurse like you. And then the real killer, the most vile of it all, don't give me that laundry mat grandma. Jessica, how big of a piece of shit is Danvers? Huge piece of shit, very offensive. So she's got to have a relationship with these people. I swear to God, because there's no way someone, an acquaintance does not come into your house and insult you unless they're expecting to be kicked out. But Danvers walks in there like she owns the place, insults everyone that lives there, and then pieces out like, bye, everyone. See you tomorrow. I fall on the spectrum is she's kind of like old lady racist and offensive. When Dan- does an old lady ever come into your house saying offensive stuff? Like the version of old man racist and a woman who also is just offensive in general. Dan, where does that stuff at their own house? Where Jessica, does, let me talk. Dan, where does she fall on the piece of shit spectrum? So I'm actually in the middle of you two both because I don't think, what's the girlfriend's name? Kayla. Kayla. I don't think Kayla's that out of line with standing her ground when Danvers like ruins her plans for the whole night and, and addressing it instead of just laughing it off. I like that Kayla has some backbone and isn't going to shy away from this older woman. And I do also think that the Danvers should allow her daughter to explore her culture and see what it's all about. And so the fact that she needs this control and this element of her life is a little bit insecure. And then I kind of think that for a person to speak a different language deliberately in the presence of somebody is kind of a rudeness too that the grandma's doing it, that's kind of insulting to Danvers. So there aren't really any great winners in this dynamic. Did Jessica uh, freeze up on us? No, that's just her oh, face. Okay. Guy, the drawing is in its jewels because it has blue hair. What if the who is so simple? Did he only have one crayon or or like two crayons? Or is <laughs> you, it think the ki- you think the kids drew jewels? That's a funny take. Jules has blue hair. You could be the link to the great mother earth or whatever. Yeah, I think I fall a little closer to you, Dan, other than two things. I'm just overreacting a little to the the, the other end of things. But then I do th- just, I, I'm a little more down on Kayla than you are. I'm not totally down on Kayla. I mean, I'd like to just see more back, less bone. But the only <laughs> other thing I could say to maybe justify the reaction of Danvers is because these are tattoos that people get. People, do, and I get their heritage tattoos but parents do react to kids potential to get tattoos and because this is a half step away from a tattoo i could maybe understand some of the reaction i do agree she should let her understand her heritage i do agree she's 17 whatever but parents do overreact to things like a tattoo on a kid and so this is a step away like even when she meets her girlfriend she's you know wondering if it's permanent the girlfriend is who's her age So I'm just saying I can at least fathom some of what's going on, but 
Danvers is an asshole. She's meant to be an asshole. Kids She's wear meant- temporary tattoos all the time that their parents you, buy for them. But if you came home with one that you didn't know you had, you might have an instant snap reaction temporary that was tattoo. like. And just you know, this is also a day after her daughter was just making a sex tape. So now she's going out and she's maybe getting a tattoo to Craig's point, like where Danvers needs to have control so she she's of the acting sex. Out. She needs to have control of Hank. She needs to have control of this case. She, in this element of her life, is really feeling the need to put her foot down all over the place. And I will say that I think you're dead on the control issue. And in, in probably what you see with people with control issues is the least the less control they appear to have, they're probably acting out even more. And so to your point about what just happened yesterday with her daughter, like she's going to probably knee jerk even more after that. Yeah. But, but then in the same instance, like she's just telling her to go away at the crime scene and wherever the fuck are you go almost. So, I mean, it, there's a little Danvers well, is not, she's not perfect. It, yeah. There's the whole, like, did you come to see my hockey match? Like no. Yeah. Danvers is not a great person. She's not a model citizen. I think she's a dickhead. I just also don't think she's the worst person in the world. And so sometimes when I'm defending these people, it's not that I think they're great people. I'm just don't, I think there's worse people in the world. Yeah, and, and they have nice some to have a voice qualities. to the other side. Jules and Navarro shopping, $20 Oreos. Jessica, tell me about current day Oreo prices in the United States of America. So we're seeing prices between $4.50 and $8.50. And when I did pretend that Oreos were $20 now, I was reacting more to the $8.50 Oreos, to be clear. And that, <laughs> that you're basically a party a pack, Craig. I think you're overreacting. I would suggest <laughs> switching to a smaller pack of Oreos. My most recent pack consumed was a very small pack, but I probably still paid $4 from seven. It was a, in professional Oreo parlance, I consider a sleeve. If you rack a sleeve, that's in your party pack. That's one sleeve of the party pack. But it's probably what you amateurs would call a sleeve, which is just like the single individual packaged Oreo sleeve. Yeah, probably that. Yeah, I guess in a package, I consider it like a row of Oreos, not a sleeve. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and that's probably fair, but you know, when you really when you're really racking them up, you know, that's called knocking out a sleeve to me. Everybody's favorite type of Oreos. I go with the Oreo Thins mint flavor. Jesus Christ, Dan, you're worse than Dan <laughs> Jessica. Talk some sense in him. Jessica, what's your favorite Oreo? Original. Boring. I don't even like the double stuff really, because the cookie is my favorite part, not the stuffing. Oh, the mocha one's good too. We probably should be I eating. hated the birthday ones. Yeah. Your best quote ever is on sharing drinks. So we definitely couldn't share Oreos, but that would make me puke. But I take off one half of the I don't actually touch that half of the cookie though, to be fair. I take off one half of the cookie that is cookie only. That's dead. And then I only eat the other side. So I don't like liquor. I don't have to do anything to the other side. But I So separate. you've got this wasteland of Oreos left in your wake. I don't need I don't need the calorie of the half Oreo. I just you need strip the- mine the Oreos. <laughs> I definitely do. Um the only two right answers are double stuff or birthday cake for Oreo flavors. Those are only correct. I can't even talk to you anymore. 
It was mainly jewels, I think, just kind of piling on. She's just a kid. Shopping. She's like 20 something. She's at least 20. She's at least 20. Is this a uh, high school hockey player? No. I did think she, I felt like she was almost like extorting Navarro though, because she was like talking about the Oreos being $20 and she was like, remind me again why we're here. And then she said, good job benefits. But I thought she was like saying she's only there because of Navarro. So she has to pay. $20 for Oreos. Is that how you guys took it or no? Don't tell someone you ha- you're you bribing them to come with you by saying, oh, buy your groceries. And then when you pick out your groceries, they're complaining about it. So yeah, I would say the same thing. So you're team Jules. Um, it's not like her sister didn't know she eats Oreos. You know if your sister eats Oreos. Does your sister eat Oreos, Jessica? Yes, she does. Oh, God, does she? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> so Navarro tries to lightly bring up the lighthouse, and she says, "Listen, I'm not mom. Let me live like a normal person." Any other wrap-up thoughts on Navarro and Jules, Dan? No, I've got nothing else here. "Pass Them By" is the next song by Agnes Obel. I know you're a big Agnes Obel head, Dan. <laughs> Think you like the love her old stuff. I loved when she was Agnes Oral better than Agnes Oral. Whoa! <laughs> Leah is in front of the mirror. Now, did you guys notice the drawing in Leah's rooms? Leah's room. She had weird sketches all over her walls, too. Oh, yeah, it did kind of look graffitied. It kind of looked like the fucking trailer later. I'm definitely not positing a Leah is the killer theory. I'm more positing a Danvers just leaves her alone to do whatever the fuck she wants theory. But I'm also positing that it did look a little bit like the trailer. Jessica, where are you going from here? I don't know. Lee is the killer. Okay. So um, Pete hired her to decorate the trailer. They were kind of chummy. Lee is in front of the mirror. My dad hits me, please. Drawings are all over the room. My notes kind of looks like the trailer. Girlfriend texts her. She's going to sneak out to meet the girlfriend. And the, the, the line of the episode for Dan... Amber says, help me put up this fucking Christmas tree. I did think she made a reference to putting up the tree in the first episode as well. I kind of caught later. Leah sneaks out the window. Liz is trying to untangle the lights. Leah meets the girlfriend of the store. What did we think that store was? I thought it was some sort of a weird thrift kind of thing. That's kind of what I took, but it was such a weird line because the greeting is Leah's, this place is crazy. And I just thought, what was so crazy about the fucking thrift store? And the other thing that was weird to me is I pictured Leah's room on the second floor. Yes, um, it appeared that way to me as well. So if she's going out the window... What yeah, is I don't know. Happen? Maybe her window's right over the garage, and so she hops down onto the garage and then... Yeah, I'm over Off the garage. I'm over um, most kids. Most kids in the suburbs do. But the girlfriend does say, did you finally do it kind of thing about the tattoo? Mm -hmm. So obviously this has been kind of like a thing, but she's, no, it's just temporary, whatever. Liz is going through boxes. She finds the polar bear, which is the trigger. So I am wondering, I guess the polar bear was always there, but why was it out? Was it out because of Danvers? Is it supernatural? Was it never there? She finds the polar bear. The picture that was there was of Liz and Holden. So we don't see... It's hard to place the age of Holden and it's hard to place the age of Holden compared to Leah to me. Yeah. Holden when he died or when in the flashbacks? 
I mean, he died, I think, at a young age, but we don't really know. I'm thinking like six, seven, eight. One of those ages. But it's but you have to think that if this is years ago, Leah would have been like 10, 11, 12. You don't, we don't really know if Leah was older. Yeah. I, I don't think we can place, did Leah come after? Did Leah come before? She was with somebody for 19 years ago. You want me to tweet my girl that... Isa and ask? Yeah, I mean, I think we're gonna find out, but you could ask. Hey, did you guys stopping by? Anything specific about this scene other than Twist and Shout playing? Damn. Legos or Duplos to be technical, not Legos, but Duplos, but very similar to what Darwin was playing with. The thing that I noticed is he covered one eye and said, "Yeah, I'm like the, the polar bear." Eye. He said, "I'm the one eye." Is the quote. Oh, I didn't pick up the exact quote. And a JVC boombox. Yeah, that that existed. But yeah, I'm the one I that was weird to me. That's just putting that on the shelf for later. Did you have any other thoughts on Holden, Jessica? So we've got Pete with the bodies, the Ember's calls. So this, I guess my thing is immediately when she comes out of that, she's got the spiral note and then she calls Pete. So... You posited, and I still think you're right, Dan, that she kind of retreats to sex, but she also retreats to work. Yeah. First reaction is she passes something to Pete, which was she calls and says, send me Clark's credit history. And then we immediately go from that to the Hank slap. And Hank quotes, you don't go into my house to steal. You know better. Look at me. Even your mother didn't steal from us when she left. Danvers doesn't own oh, you have a family and she's not it. Blood is blood, Peter, remember that. Any take on this? Why did the mother leave? Mother left, is not dead. Did he hit the mother? Question mark. Dan, Dano. I'm still, this all plays into my Hank theory. And so what Hank is doing here is, and I gotta have to ask a theoretical question. Would you slap your kid if it kept him from running out into the street in front of a car? you would take whatever steps you can, even if they were maybe not socially acceptable, if you thought it would throw them off track out of a freight train. And I think that's what Hank thinks he's doing here because I'm a Hank apologist and I'm apologizing for him. Jessica, any takes on old Hank here? I still think he's weird. My only thing I want to say here is this actually isn't what bothers me most about Hank. So this it's isn't, this isn't really, like it. No, I mean, this isn't, this isn't what sends me sideways on Hank here, just for the record. We'll leave it there. We get Danvers at Connolly's. Danley or Connolly says, you fuck me for the bodies. Now you come to fuck me. And she says, do you want to or not? And she goes, yeah, I know you didn't stay in town for the lovely weather. I thought that was just such a creepy delivery by Jodie Foster. Dan? It was interesting to me for Connolly that this was the first context I saw that he didn't actually live in the town. Like they're at a hotel room. Yeah, he lives in Anchorage. I never got that. I yeah. never got saying that. he was taking the case back to Anchorage. Yeah. Right, so but I that think... doesn't necessarily mean that he lives there. Yeah, I thought I was there too, like with the Anchorage thing. I think that's where Jodie Foster was with him, Liz Danvers. And then he sent her here to get away from her basically that's okay. that's kind of how i took it and that's kind of where i think that's all going fills it in 
almost it gets filled in <laughs> shortly after did you want to give us any other thoughts on the sex scene jessica i know this was kind of you thought she had a bang and body this was a, a good scene for you i felt bad for her having to film that scene with him and i just feel like they were like oh make your worst sex face possible and he's like, i've got it hold my beer i What I noted is they were banging with socks on, which I think is fucking disgusting no matter the weather. I just think it's not a socks banger for me. So when they do post-sex, we get, do you want to say it or should I? This is the last time we do this. So they've obviously been saying that. They're like, how long have we been saying this? He says 15. She says 19 years. She was with Jake. So I'm going to assume that's Holden's dad, but we really don't know that. Two things. I thought maybe he was McKittress mix, but I would think if that's true, Navarro would have known that Danvers banged his wife. Like when Jodie Foster was filling Navarro in or Liz Danvers was filling Navarro in that she had banged McKittrick's husband. I would think Navarro would have known that if she, if it was Connolly. So I don't think Connolly is McKittrick's husband, I guess, is my final answer on that. He asks, what are you doing with the Salal thing, Liz? Kind of asking why she won't take over the case. Or she says that he's, she thinks she sent him, he sent her to, what the fuck are they, Ennis? Because mo- mostly because you're an insecure asshole and because you're scared of me. The reasoning she gave was I'm just doing my job. She asks him, why are you so hell-bent on keeping a lid on it? He said, I'm going to keep control of it. Or she did. They kind of go back and forth. I don't think you can. I can. She said, he said, I swear if you don't. And that's when she said, are you threatening me? My notes from this are, I think there's a lot that meets to the eye with Connolly trying to keep control of this. Something is going on there. I don't think he's like a pedophile but I think it's like some of the other detectives in previous scenes that were trying to get ahead or some of the bosses like the DA in season three. And then also I think what's relevant here, you asked earlier why Danvers took the case aside from her being controlling, which I agree with. I do think she's, she says specifically, I'm just doing my job. I kind of think there's something to her maybe just having this desire to do her job. That's what she can do and do well. Maybe that is the motivation there. Dan. Well, there's this narrative they try and give her in the police station earlier of you just pass off everything. You know, we know you don't want that. That's not you. And it seems like almost a narrative is being provided for her. And this is her way to maybe rebel against getting typecast as this sort of detective. What I think maybe she has taken advantage of this relationship before, and I think that's what the Daddy Conley thing was referencing to. But, you know, maybe this is her, and she's just, because she's been a mess or upset about these other things, she hasn't been herself, and maybe this is her more trying to be herself. Jessica, any thoughts on Connolly aside from his porno skills? I don't see him as being involved in any of the crime. Doesn't eat children. Go ahead. Maybe pursue. So obviously, bigger cities are like a nearby big city is going to fight for this case because they have more manpower and everything, and they'll think that they deserve to take it over or whatever. This is just him having big balls. But uh, I didn't see that part of it. Yeah, but Danvers has bigger balls, I guess. You know who doesn't? Scientists on ice. 
Oh. Uh, wait, did they show their balls? Shrinkage is a real thing. It's a little rough for them down there. Show them? Third watch. To go back for a lengthy, th- maybe not a lengthy third watch. Short third watch. <laughs> you know, maybe they're growers and not showers, Dad. Did you ever think about that? I don't want to think about that, Craig. Craig's been so- thinking about it since he saw it. All the notes are just crazy doodled in notebooks just with dick spirals everywhere. Star-shaped wounds. Um, He's like ran out of paper and he's just been writing on his walls, just dick spirals. (laughs) Getting smaller and colder. Expanding, contracting, expanding, contracting. This is your best theory yet. $600 Cannibalism and everything. Pete doing it all is my best theory, I think. God, I hope it's him. I'd be cool to be right. That it does not constitute your theory being correct if Pete is the killer, to be clear. There's many things in this theory that have to bore out. $600 Fairbanks Inc. tattoo on Clark's credit card record from 2017. Tattoo artist remembers him. He was asking, I think, if she, he was English. She said Irish. Weird guy. Cried a little when I finished. That's what she said. hi Oh. Not because it hurt. <laughs> Maybe because oh. he remembered Annie K. <laughs> is my note there. Danvers at Navarro's place. Did you guys notice anything specific about Danvers' appearance at Navarro? There's one big kind of Easter egg there. Or call out that's kind of important. Was did she bring back her lawnmower? No. <laughs> but so Danvers is at Navarro's place. She says, Navarro says, I guess I should start look walking. This is where she shows the picture of them together for the tattoo. So this is where we see the reveal of the previous scene. She mentions that the tongue is Annie K's unusual cellular damage, but probably from the frost. And then she says, Did you change? where you put the cans cans where do the cans go that means she's definitely spent probably quite a bit of time at navarro's dan yes i did pick up on that and now the cans are in a different place i also wondered if anybody picked up any similarities in their two sex scenes navarro from the first episode and liz in the second yeah they cut their bras on yes there was that but it seemed like they both were very controlling and I mean, maybe not Navarro so much, but no, I think Navarro, Navarro was, was more, more controlling. controlling. Yeah, because she was specifically she had him pinned down. She was specifically making him come. She almost when like, he didn't want to. She almost like I think if that scene was reversed, it would be more questionable. Whereas with Danvers, just didn't want him to come. Because until she finished, I think that was more understandable. And I guess the difference was that I didn't see Navarro finishing. Navarro didn't. Yeah. I don't think but she it seemed cared like the if way she finished. They were both kind of controlling that seemed a similarity in both of their characters. Whereas they're like, oh, we couldn't work together. We're not anything alike. And then you see this element of their character where you're like, eh. And then in the next scene, you see that, oh, they've spent time together. She knows where the groceries go. She knows how to get into her place. Maybe they're more alike than we think. Navarro hasn't been able to finish since her military girlfriend was killed overseas. This is and a theory. The only, the only yeah, way she can finish problem. the only way she can finish is by eating children. No, she's not involved in that. She would never. <laughs> yeah, this does go a little bit with what I was saying in the first episode, which is, you know, obviously we see more in the trailer, but the way this show tries to play it to you is that they like 
if you only watch the first episode, they don't give a lot of hints of how much they actually had worked together and this deep personal history between them. And we're starting to see more signs of, I think, a more extensive history than we're led to believe strictly by what we've seen in the episode thus far. Yeah, I agree. Uh, did you? It was so expensive because it was made of like children's blood and ink. Stop with the children. Craig thinks there's going to be children too. I have not really confirmed that. Do we think that the Blue King crab is really little children that everybody's eating? Do we? Think that would make both our theories come together. Were the cans that she rearranged cans of Blue King crab? Did not see. Can I confirm or deny? Can I confirm that me editing this corpsicle of a fucking episode together? Is going to be more artistic than what we saw in this episode. This Grab a this can of crab and just do it. This episode is going to be a corpsicle. So your case is my case. What are you doing here? You know Annie better than I can get from the files. Now it matters because it's a bunch of white men. You want in or you just want to go fuck yourself? So to me, the most second most revealing thing here is when she starts to go in on the Wheeler thing. Yeah, they mentioned the Wheeler thing. And she says, listen, the Wheeler thing was, and she says, shut up. Now we're not, no, we're not doing that. I do think this reminded me of when she told her daughter to shut up when she got in the car. And so I think there's two illusions you could take from this. You could take that maybe they had an intimate relationship. That's a possibility. I've heard other people say it on other podcasts. But I think it's maybe more like the Pete relationship where it's this mentor-mentee relationship and, and her talking to her like she talks to her daughter to me kind of speaks more to that. That's kind of my read on it that, with the information I have thus far. And you guys have any thoughts on Navarro and Danvers getting together? You glad, happy, sad? What's your thoughts on this coming together? I didn't even take it as that same true detective moment when the detectives decide to put their past differences behind them and get together. There was none of that feel good from seasons one, two, or three when the reuniting had happened. But yeah, the Wheeler thing seems to be a lot more meat on the bone there for their past relationship. They keep calling it a shed, but it's either a trailer or a shed or she shed or when you get a Another vision of another shed in the trailer. Jessica, were you happy these guys are working together? What was your reaction to this scene? I think without wasting their energy hating each other, that, and really it was just Danvers who was the problem. Navarro's been trying to work together. But now that they're both on the same page, I think that shit's about to get wild and things are just going to start happening so fast in the next four episodes. But that's what we always hope with True Detective. That's what we hope every damn season. And I have a question for you. You mentioned going into this season, you didn't really envision maybe the chemistry between these detectives. And I don't think that's probably changed on your part per se. But how do you feel about them coming together? I know it's not the same happy feeling, but I'm more interested in these characters than I was going into the season. Where are you on them? I appreciating Danvers a lot more. Navarro, I'm not plus or minus about. She just kind of is for me at this point. There aren't a lot of- She's my favorite. Oh, geez. 
That's why we're opposites, Jessica. It's good to have you here. So smart, driven, independent, tall. The way she threw that guy at the factory for hitting his girlfriend. Oh, pierced. The me hit the murderer because she was eating children, and now he was really the good guy in the situation. Uh, Blair, because she is really the true killer. Just put this on the record that I'm saying it also might be Jules, just in case. Uh, <laughs> is there anybody you haven't mentioned? <laughs> Welcome to the real season of Only Murders in the Building, where she's guessed everyone. And then at the end, she's see, I was right the whole time. You told me I had to pick three, and it was one of my top three. After the 10, you do get credit but you definitely don't get credit on the rat poison because you were way off there but you do get credit for it being the spaz and I thought um, it was a different show where i kept saying that it was everyone every show you say it's everyone we do yeah, is jessica you definitely get credit for the cookies in that that impressed me. yeah yeah but then she didn't get that the cookies were poison which is mind-boggling i was like i'm enjoying these guys more than i thought they would or, or that i thought i would Obviously, I'm enjoying Danvers more, but I'm open to Navarro. I think Navarro's best work is probably with Kovic. I think that's probably where her chemistry is probably the greatest. And I think, obviously, I'm enjoying Pete and Danvers more. Dan Would you just like to see Navarro with her walls down? It was also interesting to see how Danvers' teaching of Navarro when she was with Kovic let her to the thought process to figure out the trailer that even without Danvers there, like the footprint that she had left the, the process to how to think through it led her to that. So that was interesting to me too. Yeah. Teach so next, a man to fish. Teach a man to eat children. Casey and the sunshine band next. We've got Pete watching a video. I couldn't figure out what that video was. I didn't spend a lot of time on it, but it looked like good a dance moves, social media video of some sort. Leah's walking towards the eye, scares Pete. I did think it was like cute that Pete didn't want Leah to look at the bodies. He was like trying to protect her from that. She said, Liz, make you stay up and watch them in case they wake up. But this is where the reaction came from. She saw the mark on his face and said, fuck prior, he's an animal. So to me, this is a repetitive behavior that they've seen. And there's another context clue here. He mentions he was raised to be an animal by an animal or raised by an animal to be an animal, which that like obviously speaks to that. But then she says, you come from the same shit, but you're nice. Two things here. This, if Pete were to be bad, this would be a partial explanation of that. And this would be a partial red herring of you came from the same shit, but you're nice. If he were to be, this is where it would bear fruit. I don't necessarily think it's going to, but just if he were to be, that's where I would see it. But with that said, this is a pattern of behavior with Hank that she immediately recognizes it as a mark on his face as being abused from her dad. And that's where I think some of the Hank love maybe falls apart or maybe this is a bigger issue. Bigger issue. It's not that he just hit Hank once, whatever. I mean, I still don't think that's appropriate either as a father or as a coworker. And especially when you are a father with a coworker. With that said, I think where it becomes a problem is like, this is a serious pattern of behavior. Father's an animal. He's an animal raised by an animal. This is a lifelong problem. So I feel kind of bad for Pete there. Any feedback on that, Dan? Is no, that's an interesting take on your 
and I didn't go that deep into it. It is neat to see that Leah and Pete have this kinship. And I think their relationship actually is very young and fun and fresh. I have so much to say. Okay. Like I said, hurt people. And and herpes people give herpes to people. Yes. Just saying. Obviously, it's like a known thing that this has been, he's been an abusive dad physically. So that's probably what Danver, why she was saying like, oh, you weren't much of a, you know, sandwich making dad. Were you, Hank, in the first episode? Sandwich. Hey, Yeah, knuckle sandwich. (laughs) Maybe opens (laughs) him a can of whoop ass every now and then. But yeah, so that kind of elaborates on that. But anyways... As he was saying, she goes, he's raised by an animal to be an animal. And then she goes, yeah, but you're nice or whatever. You know, what was the quote? I think you came from the same shit, I think, but you're nice, I think. Okay. Something well, like that. But it's you come from the same shit. Go ahead. That's why, because I was like, it's Pete. That opening song, the one by Billy. Are your friends? Says, why don't you run from me? What are you wondering? What do you know? Why aren't you scared of me? Why do you care for me? It's someone unassuming. I mean, it could describe the relationship with the father. I mean, that could describe that based on what you said. Anything else? No, I'm saying the whole, no one there is scared of him or whatever. Oh, so you're saying that points to him being the killer because nobody thinks he is. Nobody runs from him. No one's scared of him. They care for him. Okay. And that could also be talking about the girl at the crab factory, too. It could also be talking about Stacy. We get no Stacy in episode two. That's Dude, the real. She's going to be the Errol Childress of this season. <laughs> oh, geez. She's making yep. flowers in the snow. My um, family's been drinking and driving around these parts for a long time. Has she had, does she have any experience in landscaping? Stacy, how do we get down the street? She's you just zigzag all the way down the street until you crash, and then that's where you're gonna park for the night. I wonder how she keeps house. So we get from Leah the other kind of relevant thing here is we get my dad and Liz used to dance this all the time. My dad was like a stoner, want to be artist, chill, pretty sure Liz smoke weed too. It wasn't a JVC boombox, but it was a record player, Dan, in the background, I'm pretty sure. We get the Hank description. Hank was a musician, played guitar, never heard him play. My mom said he wasn't good enough to have a career, but wasn't good enough, period. I will say this is the other line that's a jumper for me. Pete looks at her and says, that sticks with you, doesn't it? Not being good enough. So you think of that in Leah's position, but you also think of that in Pete's position. So that's a jumper for a line for me. I don't know where it's going, but it, it exists. Dan, any other takeaway from any of these revelations? Nope. Got nothing else. Jessica. Yeah. Oh, this is where you do see Blue King as the sponsor of the ice cream. It's okay. In this interaction. Jessica. Blue King, it's jewels. <laughs> see Pete's hockey uniform was blue. Yeah, I mean, the Pete Hockey history is interesting. I still, still think there's got to be King of the Rink, King of the Rink. McKittrick thing. Maybe he's going to eat McKittrick's kids. We get the Kovic. Oh, what and- is the, what's the logo for McKittrick's business? We don't know yet. 
we do. We see it all the time. Spiral. Kovic is in the bath with candles. He goes under the water when Navarro gets there. Dan, are you pro or anti-man bath? I am pro-man bath. I'm a huge are, bather. Are it's you pro? Relaxing. Are you pro-man bath with candles? Yeah, that's a bit much. And I don't do the bubble bull crap either. But I would yeah. think it helps to cover your nuts and berries if all of a sudden your girlfriend walks in. The candles are a bridge too far for me. Dan or Jessica, man bathing, okay or not okay? I had a boyfriend and I got home and he's oh I'm in here. So I thought he was like shaving or something in the bathroom. But he was yeah. taking a bath. Yeah. And I laughed for 10 minutes. <laughs> um, <laughs> where does ba- like is probably I would imagine couple bathing is as gross for you as sharing oh, a drink. Oh yeah, no. Ew. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I figured. What about a um, hot tub? Where is hot um, tub rank? On your gross scale. I would never go in a hot tub that was a public hot tub. Like at Disney, you won't go in a pool? At any hotel or anything. No, I will because I just know that the concentration of chlorine is so high. Kovic says you could have given me a heart attack. Navarro says, want to fuck. And then she says, oh, you just jerked off. Watch porn. What kind of porn? Can we just watch a movie? Porn movie. I think we covered this last episode. Any other comments here on Navarro and Kovic? Jessica. Super cute together. They get cuter together every scene. They're so playful in this scene, and you can tell she just likes joking around with them. And she, you know, all her, you know, her walls are down, and she's just uh having fun. And I think they should get serious. They should definitely put a label on that. Dan, thoughts? I don't know what Kavik's purpose in the show is. I really don't. Maybe Perhaps he's got a whole scientist. Tarts. Maybe he's killing the kids and making them into burgers. I don't know that could be <laughs> Jessica's theory or waffles or what have you. But for as much screen time as he gets, he doesn't deliver a lot for me other than the Grolsch sign. Yeah, I mean, I think his place is like a turn of point for some of the plot lines. We, we get the residence there. We're going to get the Navarro exposition on what's going on with her. We're going to get the, we're going to get the jewel stuff. I mean, his diner is kind of like the Seinfeld diner of true detective. Maybe I'm guessing it's going to be a point of, you know, where we progress some of these scenes is my best guess. So as they're making pancakes as a senior talking about Dan, where they're asking the questions of why would they keep it secret? Not the right question. That's what Danvers would say. Well, let me take a half step back. So really what Navarro is expressing to Kovic is how she doesn't really have as much information as Danvers thinks she has, or she's feeling insecure about the case because she didn't see the Clark thing and that she does know the case inside out, but like clearly she missed some things. And then this is where he says kind of, why would they keep it secret? And this is where she quotes, you know, kind of uses that, Danvers quote of not the right question. That's what Danvers would say. Right question is how would they keep it a secret? They say trailer, the nook, and then she leaves Kovic sitting with two plates of pancakes. So first page in the journal, or it looks like it's, I don't know if it's a journal or if these are like records from the, excuse me, because they have all of the pages have like sample extraction, ice core with a number, but then there's notes below. So first page, this is just more funny. It looks like it says microcoleus. And then it looks like it says 
vaginatus. So I got to look up what that, what that all means, but I haven't had time for that yet. Next page, we get this drawing kind of looks like that, but it says, Oh God, never say, I think it's going to say her name. Never say her. I can feel her. Then it says her name. I can hear her moving her fingers, cold, dark, her eyes. I can hear her eyes, her face. That's that page. Next page keeps saying I, her coming, her eyes, her face, her eyes, dark, cold. Next one is her name, her eyes. You know, we get a lot of dark, cold. Then the next one is, oh, God says sleep. It's got another picture of the holes. It's a lot of I can hear her coming, her eyes, dark fingers cold but you get dark and cold of all of her phalanges any thoughts here because i mean i think this is a sign that somebody's going crazy either he's going crazy or being made to look crazy go ahead dan i don't think it's that at all i think he's right because the first words we hear him say are she's awake and if she's coming she's getting closer through the whole procession of that notebook, it seems to lead up to that. What do we think this is? I mean, I think it's got to be the wide-eyed gal from the trailer, no? And then, I mean, I think you've been steering this away from supernatural. Jessica definitely doesn't seem think it's supernatural, but I mean, he's either crazy or something's there. I guess, what, what's your thoughts, Dan? I'm thinking it's something to do with Ani or Annie. Um, Bezaritas licking buttholes. <laughs> That's what the whole pictures were. Because it's come back and then the tongue comes out. Maybe this her is, tongue is Bezaritas line oh, up. Oh, <laughs> Jessica, geez. what do you, what do you think's going on with these journal entries here? And I will point out, like, some of this writing is over actual like cell pictures. Like he's writing over like the slides, almost the copy of the slides. But each of these pages is a document. Like it's a Salal document and then he's writing over that. Go ahead, Jessica. Notes on whatever bodies that he's eating now that he's joined that secret society. Never disappoint. <laughs> Never disappoints. So that's Jambers going through the notes. Navarro's kind of like setting up for the trailer, but we don't see the inside. We do see the inside. There's seal and caribou bones at minimum. There's a lot of those like voodoo dolls, like Jessica was saying, or husk dolls or these various trappings on the ceiling. The funny quote here is, how did you find this place? And Navarro says, my spirit animal showed me in a dream. Remember, we see Annie's K's phone, Annie K's phone, which was smashed, which was not with her body. As dad called out in the last episode, we get the spiral on the ceiling. I couldn't tell if that Annie K doll was a cuddle doll or it kind of looked like a giant voodoo doll. Did you have any take on that on second watch, Dan? No, I was still just as creeped out thinking it's a flesh walrus or something like that. I don't know what the point of it was. Jessica, any thoughts on that big doll the second time? Voodoo doll, Annie K, sex doll, what was it? So I thought it was going to have her jacket on it, but upon second watch, it was just like some sweater. We don't know if those are her clothes or if that whole trailer is just a scene that's been set by the killer. Yeah, I don't. I think that is a very good point and one of your better points. 
and I think accurate. I did notice there were bears on the bed. So I'm like, but the other thing that was weird to me, Jessica, they did look printed, but there were so many pictures of Annie K on the wall. And so that was the really thing that jumped out to me is that wall that has all Annie K's photos and there is some writing there. Yeah, so so those photos would have been there because if you're going to have a secret little love nest, you're going to... That was my point is how much of this was set by somebody to make it look this way? How much of this was already there? What of this is Clark? Is it all Clark? You know what I mean? And I don't think we have answers, but these are, you know, we're not asking the right questions. Go ahead. Also, I think if someone could find that trailer because they did keep it, you know, hush. But a cop would be able to find that because he would have registered it. Or at least they had to have done something because it was hooked up to electric. It was still so, hooked up to electric. So your point is that Pete knew about this all along and he set the scene. He could have found it just because he could have requested like records from the from anything. I don't know. He could have DMV records from the sale. Yeah. One other point. We do get this a little bit throughout the episode, but we get it most at the end here is we're getting ready to cut to the next scene. And kind of towards the end of the next scene, we get some of these almost like sound scratches. These yeah, like... I had it as a baby monitor or white noise. Okay, yeah, we get a little bit here and then a lot at the end. But yeah, these like weird, you know, radio-ish type noises. So they get called back to the scene. Clark's missing. So there's only six of them. So we've got six minus whoever's in the hospital minus Clark is sick. Um, they say there's G or Jai, Marins, Molina, Kotov, Maida, and Emerson. So I would think if, Lund. Yeah. I would think they would say Lund if it was Lund. So we got no Lund. I'm thinking he's the victim that's alive. And then we've got no Clark. Navarro says Clark's not here. Danvers says maybe he got separated. Navarro is very insistent. No, he's alive. He's out there. And then we get Seven Devils by Florence and the Machine. So that's the other seven seven reference of this episode. Any other thoughts to wrap up this episode here? I think the trailer, once Clark started going nuts, was his shrine to Annie. And it just shows how far off his gourd he got. I don't think it's a setup or anything funny. I think it's just... So you think Clark... You think Clark is alive? Clark is crazy. Do you think Clark's the murderer? No. I think Clark maybe knows what happens, but he's an unreliable source. I think he is running around in tunnels somewhere that they drilled. And I think he folded the clothes after everybody was kind of dumped there to kind of honor his comrades. And then he just took off into the night. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad theory. Um, Jessica, any thoughts wrapping this up? And also to be clear, you don't think Clark is the murderer. You don't think Clark is crazy. It's too simple. All of his ramblings and stuff, it's it's there's gotta be some sort of notes that he's hiding in them about whatever thing he's joined or discovered. Yeah, so I don't think Clark is the ultimate murderer. I am unsure if he's crazy, and that's kind of where I stand. So briefly, just quickly, next episode trailer, we get that there's going to be a manhunt for Raymond Clark. They're kind of asking the question why they keep it secret. We did get this weird blue shed. 
We get a quote from Navarro. Do you ever feel like you just want to disappear? We get what appears to be some sort of expert who says this is not how you die in the cold about the bodies. We see Leah looks like she comes across a village, like maybe a native or indigenous village. It looked kind of weird to me. We see a meeting that appears to be maybe the protest from me to me. And then at the very end, we get what happened that night on the ice, who came for you. I think that's probably the questioning of Lund or whoever's in the hospital. Dan, did you have any takeaways from the trailer that you want to point out or thoughts on where we're going? No, you laid it out pretty straightforward. I didn't have any great revelation. And you got to know that when they do a trailer like this, that they're just teasing you to watch the next thing. So there's a lot of misdirection and stuff like that. Yeah, I the thing I guess that jumps out to me the most about that that indigenous village that Leah comes on, if that's really what happens, which I'm unsure of that look questionable to me and i guess important like we haven't seen a lot of the indigenous people i don't think they're direct suspects but i think there's a conversation is where are they in all of it because they like, didn't yeah. cast enough could they be upset about what happened to annie Kate? could they want these guys to stop doing this research there's a conversation where they are and what they're doing so i was interested that maybe we'll see some of that and i think the other most important thing i don't think we're going to get any info out of it this episode is the what happened the night on the ice and who came for you. That's important. My my question, is there going to be a huge shootout, long scene yes. at the end of episode three where stuff's blowing up and there's like a whole attack force and stuff like that? I've got two thoughts. And one is it's usually episode four, right? And we thought maybe because it was a six episode season happening sooner. If it happens, yeah. I think we're getting it episode four still. I don't think we're getting it in three. Jessica, any thoughts on the trailer or where we're going? I'm so excited. I also think that there needs to be like a better chain of evidence. He um, is unreliable. Yeah, because who knows what he deleted from that cell phone? No one, because no one else is going to look at that phone. And he's the only one with the bodies. He's the hero. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Prestige-ish Media Podcast. In this episode, we covered True Detective Night Country, a.k.a. True Detective Season 4, Episode 2, Night Country Part 2. I was your host for this episode, Craig Lake. Co-hosting with me for this episode was Jessica Z and Dan McNair. You can find our show on Prestige-ish Media on Instagram and Prestige underscore ish on X. You can find me at Real Real Batman on both. You can find Jessica Z at Jobless Dog Mom and Dan McNair at Dan McNair 1017, both on Instagram and X. Thank you again for listening. If you can, please like and subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms. We hope you will join us again for another episode soon. But before we move into that, I think we need to just get this out of the way and let Jessica blow Dan's top off. I did get a little preview of this yesterday. Are you going to read it or how are you going to? Do you want me to read it? Are you going to read it? How are you going to present this evidence that you've collected? I will do it through interpretive dance. Travis? Travis, Travis yeah. Wait, are we talking That's about my good. theory? 
Yeah, give us the dog and pony show. Tell us how I'm you want to do the us to do the whole thing. Okay, to do the all thing. Right. Let's. All right, then you guys can talk in 20 minutes. Okay, Dan, I'm so excited for you to hear this. Me too. Okay. God bless America. It was revenge. Raymond Clark, obviously a huge nerd because he's a scientist. He's obvious, you know, scientist. He's read Lovecraft Poe. He knows about the, oh, you know what? It's up here. I wrote how to say it. Dyatlov pass incident. He's seen the thing, which was sitting right there in the station. And so he took bits from all these media and he set everything into motion to appear possessed that there was an evil entity lurking nearby and he knew exactly he set a timer for when the power was going to go out so he knew exactly when to start like pretending that he was convulsing and saying she's awake to freak them out right before the power went out and okay so his plan was to freak them out as much as possible maybe make them turn on each other get each other like a thing Turn on each other, get each other horny, or turn on each other? Turn on each other, distrust each other. Okay, keep going. Thank you for clarifying that. I didn't want any listeners to get confused. Okay, so either way, he's getting them to the point where they're like afraid for their life. So they run outside, out of the station, and then he uses some device that he made. That is the perfect pitch, perfect decibel to make their like brains like freeze and um pierce their eardrums and the sound waves like force them directly to where he's melted some of the ice so that they fall in and then the ice freezes over once they're in there because why else would it be thawed like in one random spot and then freeze again how does he get their clothes off turns them on he gets them horny first (laughs) okay so you know what he just the sound led them there and then he probably just like with a gun was like undress and fold your clothes yeah maybe just to add a little insult injury that's a good question okay so could they have been in the shower and then he brought the clothes later no they can't all be in the shower at once right how many showers did they have it depends on how it turned out and i guess there was one guy exercising he could have gone to shower after but okay so yeah the sound waves forced them to that like section of ice and it freezes back over once they're in it. Big That's why the water like, was, wasn't even that deep because he couldn't melt it that much. It was freaking winter in Alaska. It was fro- should have been frozen. But yeah, so he tested the device earlier on the caribou because they have the same, they hear the same pitches and everything as humans around the same. So he was testing it out on the caribou to make sure that it, it led them like where he wanted it to go to see if they would actually jump over the edge and it worked so he was like all right let's go and okay so this was all revenge because he found out his girl he found his girlfriend annie's tongue in the possession of the scientists maybe in that freezer where they were keeping the things the ice core samples yeah and so he knew that his co-workers killed her to stop her from sharing inside information clark had given her on whatever harmful materials or minerals that the mine would be digging into and okay so that my mind wandered to him knowing of rust and his amazing work as a detective he tripped out the trailer with spirals and 
voodoo shit and carve spirals on the victims, hoping that someone would consult Rust about the case because they actually wanted it solved. He wanted Annie's murder solved, and he's like, Rust will get this shit done. He's Rust will get this. Don't listen to me. Um, I was. I'm looking at your notes. I just played your notes on accident because I didn't know it had noise. Oh, I didn't know it had noise. I was listening to the podcast when I did it. That Keep explains going. it. Okay. So I was like, how is he listening to himself? And and yeah, he was like, Rust will get this solved and all of this crazy symbolism shit will get his attention. And I thought that he either drugged or hypnotized Rose and it was him that led her to the bodies. But then he, because she was like either drugged or hypnotized or whatever, that he told her that it was Travis who led her. So that's what she remembered. And, or he was using that device again that, you know, because the wolf right before he appeared, it convulsed maybe. And everyone else like Jules and stuff, I think she might be crazy just in general, or maybe pollution from the mine is making people like hallucinate or whatever. But I don't think that it's making them, it's not doing anything like what happened to the scientists. But anyways, so I think that theory is pretty solid. Because why else would all the reviewers be praising Issa Lopez for copying shit that's already been written unless it was a killer using the shit that's been written already to make it look like something that happened in those things? You, I think it's are that. Are you drinking time she to, said I'm mine? About to, I'm about to Keep blow going. your mind. Because then after I realized, after I came up with like all of that, I realized that it was not Raymond Clark. It was Pete. Oh, come on. <laughs> and let me tell you why. <laughs> so, Good theory. I really and, might be passing. Why are you crying? Because I love um, Pete so much. I almost lost consciousness. Keep going. Okay, so here are just some factors why I think that it was him. Turtleneck. So he was alone in the station for a little bit before Danvers got there. Like his dad was there, but his dad was off texting his Russian bride. He had time to plant the thing. And oh. because I think like a scientist and I is don't- the, Is the thing his penis? Yes or no? Are scientists really gonna be watching the thing? I mean, they're more into logical explanations for things, oh, he... things not blaming the supernatural for- Like Ferris tragedy. Bueller. See, that's the shit they would watch because it's logical. And yeah, so he had time to plant that. He had time to plant the tongue. And he had time to rewind the movie because the movie wouldn't stay on that forever. I don't know. He had time to make the movie stuck on that. Or at least he didn't try to turn it off knowing that it would fuck with Danvers. And he used to babysit Holden. Is that his name? The dead kid? Yeah. He used to okay, babysit so he Leah. For sure, but I don't know about Holden. But she's saying what? he used to babysit Holden. Okay, yeah, we'll go with it. I'm assuming that he would You really don't away. know Holden's age. Okay, either way, if he was yeah. in that house, he knows about the polar bear. And so he could have broken in and put that there to fuck with Danvers. Because who else would know about her dead son's polar bear? And? He crawled in a polar bear suit and jumped out in front of Navarro. Go ahead. He wants to be taken more seriously as a cop and get his dad's attention. So he might be doing this for that and to 
you know, create a big crime for him to solve. I was wasn't going to drink tonight, but this is... <laughs> he was, I think it all makes sense. He was seen in the second half of episode two wearing just a tight black turtleneck on his top and all modern villains dress like this and a major factor just that hurt people and and now you're admitting you guys are the ones who brought it up that his dad used to hit him just did keep going yeah and he's you know clearly still looking for that love and acceptance but he seems you know his girlfriend's always nagging him or his wife she's always nagging him his dad still doesn't respect him still spanks him like he's a little kid and i don't know where his mom is is she dead can I share some cutting room floor theories that you have? But um, I think she okay. just ran so off. Motive. His motive to kill Annie was that she was going to t- kill the town by leading those protests and shutting down the mine. And he had a son on the way. And he loved that town. He wanted to raise his son there. And he wanted to be a cop there like his dad. But not with so, any indigenous influence. Exactly. No, That's he, he would it. kill Annie. No, he's okay with the influence. He just didn't didn't like the coloring. They even said the mine pays for the schools. The mine owns everything. So if there was no mine, there's no town. And so he wanted to shut her up. And so he attacked her. Or maybe he cheated on his pregnant girlfriend with her and just wanted to shut her up. But I think it was the first one. And anyways, either way, I think he killed Annie. And then... His motive to kill the scientist was that Raymond Clark was close to figuring out he killed Annie and he could get rid of him by framing him for the murders and making him appear absolutely insane so that no one would believe him if he pointed the finger at Pete. And so he's a perfect scapegoat. And then he made the scene look so bizarre that it could only be a madman that could have done it, if not something supernatural at play. So solving something like that or finding Raymond Clark, who he has held captive somewhere, would earn him notoriety like the son of local Travis Clark who solved a similar murder. Travis Cole. Can I give yes. some of your can I give some of your cutting room yes. Travis Cole. yet? I think that's good. You mean it? Wait, so do you think it's pretty well thought like, out. I give you Do you like that I went with Pete? Or do you like Raymond Clark for it better? I like Raymond Clark. I don't buy Pete. I can't believe that he's acting so good to be this subservient and the brains behind it. Hey, the criminals love sticking close to the crime. But also, he... he, Wait, oh shoot, I lost my train of thought. I've got a big theory too. One thing I want to share first. Couple cutting room theory floors from you. This one has a typo, but I'm going to read it as written and then I'll read what you meant to write. But she said, Raymond Clark Clark bypassed regulations and drilled into the ice core to gather genetic material to reanimate. And you meant to put Jackie, but you put to reanimate Rose, which I thought is funny because Rose is just old. Oh, okay. So I was going to say that he was using, he was like present. Some, whoever did it was present with their like device their sound device that was fucking with people's like minds and ears they were present right before the power went out at the because raymond clark was convulsing and he was present right before travis the ghost appeared at rose's house because the wolf started convulsing what is the telluarium that's a it's a mineral don't i don't want to talk about it 
The, some of these are like your better. These else. are better ones. She has tellurium when heated or carelessly handled. <laughs> the double barreled combination of mercury and tellurium poses a deadly. Hey, you can't threat. read that. That's copied directly from Wikipedia. Oh, okay. If they're mining, it could be dangerous. We're be sued. If there's an active volcano. I'm not a president of Stanford. Dan, what is your theory? Okay. So this is kind of high level stuff across the entire true detective universe. Okay. We know the Yellow King's bad, right? This season, we've got this power struggle between the town, the mine, and the research lab. But lurking in the shadows like a third party candidate, Blue King Crab. We did get another notice of it on, on the hockey rink. So you got a yellow king, you got a blue king. This is part of the cabal of the, the fishermen of the kings. They're pissed that there's no more crab because of the mines, because of the scientists, and they're fighting back. And then we're going to find out that there's also two more kings out there, not this season, but in future seasons, you've got a red king living in Vinci, California. And you've got a purple king. Can you give me a verbal description of your mom's reaction to your theories? How did it go with her? Oh, she just said, oh, wow, interesting. Let's keep that in mind and see how it plays out while we watch the rest of the season. Let's see how it falls into place. If it, if it falls into place, if anything goes along with it while we watch the rest of the season. <laughs> 